Let's see. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cosplay Bites, the show about cosplays, conventions, and all the nerdy bits and bites in between. Um, this time around for this episode, I am joined again by the ever so wonderful Zach Fisher. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's your cue. <laughs> hey, I didn't. I didn't prepare my dialogue. All right, so neither, neither did I. I'm winging it here. <laughs> <laughs> We're winging it. Uh, how you doing? You know what? I'm I'm doing all right. I uh, especially after the year we've had, I'm 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 doing okay. How about you? Yeah, I've, I've certainly had a year. But <laughs> that's, uh, that's a fact. Uh, <laughs> I I am actually just like. Trying to just be the happiest I've ever been. And I got a new job and out of the hellhole that I've been in. Man, all of that sounds amazing. Like it, it's incredible how just sometimes even a minor switch or change up in things can can lead to like your whole life being better. It's it's a huge deal when something big happens. So it's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Getting back on a daytime schedule has been fantastic. So what, what's, no longer have what's to, daytime? No longer have to work second shift. What is daytime? Is that where the big fiery ball in the sky is up in, up, up in the air? You're not aware of daytime? Do you work in the night lately? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I don't even know anymore. What is yeah. time? What is time after this year? Like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so this is another installment of my current rampant oh no not rampant sporadic that's a better word of series of where i interview people that i've had previously on the show mm -hmm. typically during this past year because it changed everyone's lives upside down not just content creators and copywriters pretty much everyone's lives yeah upside down but uh i was just taking a quick peek beforehand the last time i had you on was almost two years ago in september oh man I mean, I remember it because I was uh, I was still in the temporary apartment that I was in while they were doing construction on my balcony, yeah, and so that. like all my stuff was like in the other you know in my own apartment, and I was having to deal with the fact that I was basically in a bare bones like guest apartment for a while, and yeah, it was <laughs> it's been crazy since then. It's just yeah, so it's good to be back in my own space. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, you've been uh, you've been sharing at least on your Facebook. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've been sharing anywhere else, but you're 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 revamping your stream room. Yeah, like uh, tavern, which is kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, like I that was always the plan when we first moved in. We wanted to have every room be something different, and um, you know, our our some of the rooms were done immediately because you know we had to have them done immediately um like our living room and our, our dining room um they're all you know i painted the walls on it all of them our kitchen you know is painted to be like a like, almost like a candy kitchen with the striping on it and um but you know i just never got around to doing you know my stream room which you know because i i had to move my computer in right away to get to work and when you do that, like everything kind of just finds its place. And it's like the, the thought of having to move everything again is kind of like, oh man, do I really want to do that right now? So uh, 
the you know luckily with the the pandemic it's like well it doesn't really matter if like things are everywhere right now so like we've been kind of slowly making little you know home improvements and stuff like that that've been kind of put off for a while and uh, but yeah, I kind of want the place to feel like a like a Hearthstone kind of tavern or like a D and D tavern, and so I'm painting that kind of like Tudor style, like wood beams on the inside, and kind of right. griming up the walls, nice, and uh, you know, at at some point, get some like gargoyle candle sconces and stuff like that. Oh my god, <laughs> to really theme it out. I mean, my my stream family on on Twitch has really kind of come through for me. Uh, a lot of the the things that I needed uh, to make it happen, like you know, shelving and uh, switch plates for the you know the light switches and stuff that that was kind of customized. I put it on like a uh, an Amazon wish list, and um, uh, you know, earlier this year, a bunch of them started. Um, a bunch of people in my stream uh, started like just sending me stuff for it, and it got to the point where I'm like, well, I pretty much have everything I need now to kind of just get started to get oh, things going. Bad. So now it's just a matter of like all the little things that are left over on the list are kind of just more cosmetic. <laughs> so all right. the functional stuff is is taken care of, and that's that's that was really important. So yeah, uh, it's a process though. It's a it's grueling. <laughs> yeah, especially especially this week with all the painting, it's been it's been rough. Oh yeah, yeah. I actually so I actually just dove into started uh, streaming on Twitch mm -hmm. late last year. Oh yeah. Uh, and I kind of, on the other hand, like kind of ended uh, writing for my blog because I was just driving home one night thinking, like, you know, because like no one, no one's been making outfits this year, or if they have been, they haven't really been given an opportunity to like get photo shoot taken. Right. There's really, no cosplay for me to like feature, and I just didn't have the motivation to like write or do some research on it and it was just yeah. like even when cons come back would i still find the motivation to like start it up again and like honestly i don't think i would and since streaming is taking a good chunk of my time even though i'm just doing it for fun or giving myself another avenue to be a content creator mm -hmm. um, i've just been trying to just stick with that and uh, the podcast to keep that going to see what What'll happen? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the the whole cosplay scene has had to kind of change and evolve over the past year. Um, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, you know, for some people, this is a hobby, right? But for other people, it's their whole career. It's it's everything that they you know they do for money, and and if you haven't set up, you know, uh, if you hadn't set up prior to to have more of like a passive income. Uh, revenue from like merch sales or uh, you know tutorials or something like that. Then it it, it got really tough for people. Um, yeah, it, you know. But there's there's some great there's some great tutorials out there for how to kind of not just do cosplay, but to kind of set yourself up, uh, you know, as a, a business um, that you know some cosplayers have done uh, during the pandemic. And it, you know the ones that have really put in making that happen are having a little bit of an easier time uh, or had a little bit of an easier time during uh, the past year. But um, I think there's, a, there's still a lot of people who, you know, this, this year either kind of knocked them out of the illusion that, that they were going to, 
to do this full time, or it cemented their idea that that they have to, or you know, gave them the time to to really focus on it. So it's it's been kind of a transformative year for for cosplay, just as it has you know for the rest of the you know the world. Um, you know, without shows, it's it's like, well, how do you how do you feature yourself as a cosplayer? How do you show off what you can do? Um, yeah. So, and I mean, it, it affects everybody. It affects, you know, photographers and people, you know, who are selling, uh, you know, crafting materials. Um, and then, you know, me too. Like I, yeah, I didn't bother to take on new commissions uh, this year, not only because I, I still had to kind of try to sort out the ones that I currently have left, but also because it's like, it's like, I don't, I didn't know how long this was going to be. And it's like, how do you, you know, charge people for, uh, for work when you know you you don't know when the next time they'll they'll be able to use it, you know? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I I had to try to find other ways to to make money this year, and it's been um, it's been tough to say the least. Uh, but you know, things are starting to open back up here in, in California, and. Um, you know, for the most part, people are, are doing a good job with, uh, you know, getting vaccinated and and uh, social distancing again. It was, <laughs> they weren't doing that great of a job during the middle, the midst of the pandemic, which is why a lot of times, like, for the most part, I just stayed locked in. Like, I know some people were like, oh, that was, that, that you know, four-week period where everybody had to stay inside sucked. I'm like, I'm sorry, four weeks? What? Yeah. You mean you went back outside after that? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I've pretty much been having to stay inside because, um, you know, my girlfriend, London, she's more on the high risk category. She's She's got, you know, asthma and she's been hospitalized for it in the past. And uh, so, you know, there we weren't messing around. We didn't want to mess around with the, the potential that, you know, she could get, you know, deathly ill. So... I had to, when I was, uh, I had to pick up a lot of the, the slack around the apartment, which normally, you know, she would end up doing a lot of the uh, trips to the grocery store or, you know, going to get gas or, you know, uh, yeah. helping with taking the cats to the vet or whatever, like, well, I would, I would be working. Um, and since she wasn't doing any of that, that, a lot of that fell on me. And, you know, I... I was fine with that. I mean, anything I could I could do to, to keep her safe, but yeah. it, it took it took time. It took time away from being able to do artwork and um, that you know kind of cut into the you know the income we were making. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was um, <clears throat> excuse me. It was it was kind of like I don't know if you remember this, but you know, in the I want to say like the late two thousands. Uh, mid to late 2000s, everybody was obsessed with those zombie survival tests that were on, like floating around online and everything. Like, see how long you'd live in a zombie survival guide, and, like that kind of stuff. And yeah, okay, yeah. And it was funny to me because there's so many of those people that were like, oh, I'd do great. And it's like, I saw them a lot of most most of those people from like my hometown and everything. They were like, oh, I would do great in a zombie survival situation. And then you'd see them like they'd end up getting COVID or they would, you know, they would be going out without masks on and stuff and, and then getting sick. And it was like, mm -hmm, okay, yeah, sure. You do. You would do fantastic. <laughs> like, yeah, 
and, and it, you know, it was, um, it was, it was a pretty revelatory year, I think for a lot of people, not just in terms of like, you know, how vulnerable, uh, maybe their business situation was, but, you know, also like kind of where people's, uh, you know, people that they were friends with people that they knew, like whether those people could be depended on to do kind of the right thing, uh, in a kind of a, a moment of vulnerability and emergency. Um, and I think some of us really held together well, and some of us, you know, didn't do so hot. Like there were yeah. definitely people that were like, I kind of wanted to reach through the computer and be like, what the hell are you doing? Um, yeah, it's me with my family. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I had to, I felt, I feel so bad for this because I'm, you know, I'm not like this, but I actually had to scold my mother uh, <laughs> earlier. The, like the first time in my life, I, I actually had to like yell at my mother and I've never done that in my life. Um, but, you know, she went to mass. She went to church. Uh, no mask, no distancing or anything like that. It was, it was relatively early on. Uh, and I flipped out. I flipped out on her. She's, you know, approaching 70. Uh, she's pre-diabetic. So it was like, I freaked out at her. Right. And, you know, like I, I said, it, it felt weird because I, but I mean, it was like I had to do that. You know, you get to a situation where it's like, um, you can't rely on people to do what what is the smart thing necessarily. Like they 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 just go about showing you that they're yeah they're doing the exact wrong thing, and it's kind of like you know how am I the adult in this situation? Uh, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I mean it it uh, it was rough, you know, and and um, so I you know I don't. There's a lot of people now that even though people are vaccinated, they're kind of like, I'm still going to keep my mask available and I'm you know, going to uh, try to distance from people. And I, 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 I totally get that inclination. I mean, uh, London, my girlfriend and I, we're both vaccinated now. So, yeah. you know, it's, we're ready to kind of rejoin the world. And, you know, we tend to follow the science. And if, if the science is saying, hey, you know, if you're if you've got both both shots and, you know, you, you've you've cleared that, you know, waiting period. Um, you know, you're, you're totally fine to be around other vaccinated people. So, you know, we're, we're following the science and science is saying, okay, you're good. Then that's what we're going to go with. Um, but you know, we, we totally understand people that still want to be he hesitant and everything. So, um, I, I know that for, for me, even once conventions return, um, I'm going to have a mask on me. I may not be wearing it all the time, but like if I get into a crowded elevator or if I get into. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to do the same thing. Like I sometimes like I'll have my mask on me, but at the, at the very least it's in the car uh -huh. or sometimes I'll just take it with me and put it in my pocket just in case like whatever place I go into hasn't really like loosened up on their like mask wearing policy to whatever. Cause I'm fully vaccinated too. So mm -hmm. yeah. I'm able to like at least, go to work without having to wear a mask and mostly everyone where I work um, has done the same thing. So, uh -huh. um, yeah, and it, I mean that I'm glad that, that, you know, neither, uh, myself or, you know, London has, um, had a job where we had to be around the public or with, that we had to be, because I mean, we would have ended up having to leave it. Like, 
I, 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 had, I had family members, I had friends that had to basically quit the job that they'd been in for a long time because they're like, well, they're trying to you know, keep us, they're trying to force us to continue working. And you know, they're not really giving us any means of staying safe. Um, you know, this is earlier on. Yeah. Where a lot of them ended up having to quit. And it was like, well, I mean, it's, you know, sure, you know, you want to have your job, but you also want to live. Like, right. And, it, and it's a pretty easy choice, you know, like, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that things are going to be kind of going back to normal. I, I, you know, there are some conventions for later in the year that are planning to kind of go back to, you know, normal. And I think that th that's okay. I, I, I find it weird that there are still people out there that don't want to get vaccinated because at this point it's like, well, guys, you know, at this point you're the only ones you're really hurting with it. Like vaccines have been available to everybody um, for months now. And yes, there are some people that can't be vaccinated and I feel really bad for those people. And I wish there was something that could be done. Like, I would, it, if it were up to me, I think that, yeah, I think there there should be some sort of like vaccine passport or something. Like, I, I think the best way to phrase it, honestly, is a, uh, a vaccine verification where you can say, yeah, I'm vaccinated. Here's my, here's my proof. Yeah. You know, uh, and, you know, like we, we already do that for so many things. Like you can't go to school. Like there are, there are plenty of, you know, private schools in this, in this country that you can't go to school. You can't be in the Boy Scouts or something unless you've had certain vaccines and you do yeah. that for public safety. So why people are suddenly getting all, you know, bent out of shape over the idea that, oh, I don't want to have to have my papers. Like it's some sort of weird, you know, fascist state. It's like, we already do that. Like you can't go driving your car without your license. You can't go and, you know, go into a bar without showing that you're 18. Like, or that you're, you know, that you're 21. So it's like, why, why draw the line here where it's very obvious why this is being done? You know, like it, it just, none of it makes any sense. Like the, our country the, turning it, into a political statement. That's what the problem well, is. I mean, you know, that's, yeah. Yes. Like it's been doing that. It, we've been divided way longer than, than I think most people realize, but. Oh yeah. Um, and it's and it's not even a long you know left and right, um, it's it's the divide is between, uh, is, you know as far as what I'm seeing it's between uh, kind of cities and rural areas and when you look at the breakdown of the uh, the 2020 election uh, here in the U.S. you see that you see that like every major city went one way and all of the rural areas in the country went another. And I, I think we need to figure out why that is. We need to figure out what it is that's so, you know, that's so drastically different between those areas that is causing that weird divide to occur. So, right. right. Uh, I mean, I've got some ideas, but I'm, you know, I don't want to turn this into a political <laughs> discussion. So, I mean, I just wanted to put it out there because, you know, we're talking, pandemic and it's hard to talk about that without there being some sort of mention of, of you know, yeah where we did so yeah anyway <laughs> anyway um so are you are you in the mindset of feeling comfortable going back to con at the very least for next year oh yeah no totally yeah. i mean if there was if the there was a, thing. yeah 
if there was an in-person con, you know, a few months from now that that invited me to come um, and they were saying, you know, we're, we're urging everybody to to have masks when they're indoors or, or, or in a crowded spot and, you know, everybody should be vaccinated, then I'll be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I'd, I'd love to get back to it. I think that um, I'm excited for, uh, I'm excited for um, like Anime Expo. Uh, oh, that yeah. one, it's usually mostly outdoors anyway. <laughs> like most of the fun stuff is outdoors anyway. Like, oh, really? The I, well, the stuff that I enjoy doing, like, you know, right. out with cosplayers and, and seeing the cosplays. It's a lot of that's usually outdoors. Um, and then, you know, like um, BlizzCon next year, I, I thought, I think it was a good idea for Blizzard to kind of, you know, uh, say, you know, hey, it's too early, uh, you know, to, to, really be able to do a, a BlizzCon for, you know, 2021. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they make an announce their announcements for the year, um, whether they do like another BlizzCon online thing like they did uh, or, you know, something else. But I think, I think, you know, conventions have also learned that, you know, doing some things digitally can be, you know, a great way to continue to engage the, uh, their communities. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you saw that with the uh, ultimate uh, online cosplay competition that, uh, you know, I was a judge, actually, for the first time on, um, but, you know, doing kind of an online cosplay contest uh, so that people didn't have to risk, you know, being anywhere and, and could still show off their hard work and still use those skills. I think that was a, that was a fantastic uh, way to go about, you know, uh, keeping people engaged. Oh, so, sure. that was, so that was your first cosplay contest you've ever helped judge? It was an online one? Yeah, yeah. How was um, that? What was that like? Well, I mean, you know, I, I've always wanted to be part of, you know, the kind of the, uh, the process of, of of judging cosplay because I know, you know, yeah, okay, like I, <laughs> I am not the kind of I'm not the one that's going out and making things, but with the design aspect of things, when I design a cosplay, I have to think about all of the things that judges tend to look for when sure. they're looking at a, cost, a costume. So like, I have to think about connection points and materials and how will this move and can this move and what is the weight going to be like and what kind of finish are you going to deal with in terms of weathering these pieces and, you know, painting things. I have to think about all these things because when I design them, I have to build that in. I have to build in what a texture is supposed to be or, you know, what, uh, a particular material might have to be. Um, and I have to kind of work with the cosplayers individually and, and see what kind of material they're, they're comfortable working with and what they're, you know, accustomed to. Um, and so when, you know, I brought a very different mindset into the contest for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it was really interesting because we, the way it was done is that, you know, everybody submitted and there were a number of more experienced judges who kind of pared down um, the list of of cosplayers uh, that made it into the finals. And so when when we came into the, the process, when a majority of the judges came into the process, it was pared down to like 80 or so uh, people that we had to look at in, in like four different categories. Whew. And um, 
you know, I, I went through and I, I looked at all the material that they provided, all of their build books, and, um, you know, tried to really evaluate each one based on, you know, what I, I, I knew uh, about the materials that they were working with, the difficulty of it, um, you know, how much of their process that they showed, how well they documented their process. Um, and, you know, you, you get to a point where you're really looking at each one, you know, inch by inch and trying to, to, to figure out, you know, how, how much consideration did this person, you know, uh, take into, to, to making, you know, every little individual component. And, um, it was, it was, it was fascinating for me. And then we, we had a, a kind of a judges meeting where the judges kind of finalized all of the decisions and we had an opportunity to kind of, you know, voice our opposition to where the judging ultimately landed with certain things and, you know, Sure. Um, and I definitely there. That was that was kind of eye opening to me, because I respect, and uh, you know, I respect the opinions of all of the judges that were involved. They're really talented people. They're you know, some of them have been doing this for literally decades, and um, but you know, I I was willing to step up and say, you know what, I disagree, and here's why. And I noticed that my the, the arguments that I was making uh, for or against, you know, certain people winning or losing uh, or, you know, winning or, or not uh, were based on more kind of uh, a, uh, an artistic vision of things, not necessarily just, Oh, well, they, this was a more complicated process or something. It was more like, well, sure. But it, it feels more like a gimmick to me where it's like, that's the one thing that this team did and the rest of it, like it kind of cut, out, it, it was kind of a, a weird end route around all of the other challenges that maybe some other cosplayers had to deal with. Yeah, so, yeah. I was looking at things very, very differently. I mean, I, I have a, <clears throat> a fine arts background and, you know, I in college, they, they teach you how to critique, you know, pieces of artwork. Uh, and they, they tell you what to look for and how to, how to scrutinize things. And, right. uh, and I definitely, you know, noticed that the way that I approached uh, judging a contest like that was dramatically different than uh, a lot of the other judges. And what's funny is that I, I, I had discussions with uh, Hoku props uh, after the judging, you know, the, all the judges had kind of come to a consensus. And uh, he was like, yeah, so, you know, what do you think? How do you, th how did this go and everything? I, I said, well, I said, I'm, I, I felt a little outnumbered in a couple of instances where I, you know, there was not a single costume that got submitted that I didn't like. All of them were fantastic, which is why at the end of the day, I was totally comfortable deferring to other judges, uh, you know, the, their judgment on, on what they thought should win certain things. Right. Uh, but it's, it's like if it were all up to me, I, I think things would have looked a little differently because while I found many of the same things that the other judges found impressive, impressive, I also, there were some things that some of the judges found impressive that I wasn't as impressed with. And it was, it was definitely coming from the, the perspective of the fact that they are craftsmen, they're crafters. They, they are going to naturally be more enthralled by yeah, yeah, crafting, crafting techniques. And whereas I'm going to be more impressed with something that is aesthetically uh, more challenging to pull off. Yeah, like you said, because it, it sounded like you were 
could you imagine how they taught you in fine art school how to critique like for art pieces and i feel yeah. that's the mindset that you had in like just judging these cosplays off yeah. utilizing like your fine arts knowledge whereas right. like you mentioned yourself again like you're not really a physical creator like getting mm -hmm. down to the nitty-gritty of like working with foam or whatever material right. but everyone else is right and you know what what, it, what have, it felt like what it felt like was that we were all all of the judges were looking at the same criteria we were all looking at the same things so it's not like I was looking at things different, like completely different things than they were in terms of what needed to be looked at and what needed to be scrutinized. It's that the value that that I placed in certain things or the value that they placed in certain things were dramatically different. So while I may see something uh, as being far more important, uh, a lot of the judges being crafters were probably like, yeah, that's not as big of a deal to me. And vice versa, like there were things that they were really super impressed by and were like the things that they were hanging their decisions on that I was kind of like, mm, you know what, that doesn't mean as much to me. Right. And I think that's totally fine. I think that's that is a healthy competition. That is a healthy judging because oh, every right. single one of those yeah. costumes deserve to be there. And it's like we well, it's just once we get to a point where we have to really dig in and it was very difficult because they were really, really different uh costumes that were all really well uh executed and so to like be at the point where you know we were like basically arguing over like the nitty-gritty little details i think that's a great place to be um but yeah it was fascinating to me because it, it really was like well this is what happens when you bring somebody who is more of a, a fine artist you know somebody who's more of a painter or a, a designer into the process to, to see how they look at things because it, it is dramatically different. And uh, I feel like I, you know, I was able to kind of sit down with Hoku Props afterwards and we had a long discussion about how costume contests in general are structured and, you know, what might be a, a, a more fair alternative moving forward, you know, to give everybody the best chance to kind of represent their work uh, in the best way possible. Um, because I, I, you know, I think the, process is still everybody has to kind of figure out every, with every contest with every competition you know what is the right balance of criteria like what are we going to require our our contestants to to provide what are we going to require them to do how strict are we going to be on certain provisions like um are we going to be more lenient are we going to be more strict and say well no this doesn't this automatically disqualifies you etc so uh, we had a long discussion about like how how do you go about you know judging a contest where you have these dramatically different approaches and and you know you have judges from very very different backgrounds. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting. It'll be very very interesting moving forward. Uh, Ultimate online cosplay uh, competition. There they are really expanding and uh, they're going to be doing more things that are really exciting. I, I mean, there's a um, uh, Hoku Props and Christopher Tak of Tak Customs, they do a, a podcast every weekend where they have somebody on, uh, and, you know, they talk about, I was, I was on that, you know, a couple months ago and they talk about, you know, all kinds of stuff related to cosplay and, and judging and everything like that. And, but, you know, one of the things that, that we've been talking about a lot is, you know, how do you expand out, outward from just doing a contest? Like, how do you expand this to be something that is more 
helpful on an almost like a daily basis for cosplayers that are out there struggling to learn new techniques or have, you know, to find resources for, you know, how to build things. And um, I think there's an opportunity uh, that they're, they're seeking to, to, to kind of take it, uh, take into consideration and take advantage of that, that really creates something that's kind of unique in the cosplay community in, in building this wealth of resources. And I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't know how much of it I'm allowed to talk to or talk to you about just because right, it's, not, sure. it's not my thing, but, and I'm you know privy to certain information that they were kind of giving us all. But I think it's going to be an exciting way uh, to, to bring you know, new questions and new mindsets into the world of cosplay uh, in the next few years. So it's something to keep an eye on if you guys uh, have an opportunity to, to check out that kind of stuff and, and kind of follow what they're, they're working on. I think it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Like any, anything to help like move along and evolve the cosplay community as a whole with like providing resources and like workshops or tips and tricks that that one that's all always needed to keep the community like thriving and healthy and all that fun stuff mm -hmm. exactly i mean uh, there's there's always opportunities to expand and you know what's funny is uh, i was listening to uh a stream recently where Hoku was on with uh, Sammy, his uh, his fiance, Sammy, and she was talking about how, you know, early on in the cosplay world, uh, you know, people were really guarded about the information that, and the techniques that they had. It was like people that had their trade secrets; they didn't want to tell any, they didn't want to like share that information with anybody. So, like, it was really, really hard at the beginning to learn new methods or new techniques because people were like hoarding them essentially basically like not sharing their knowledge and it's great yeah. that we're in a, a place now where people don't do that where people are more comfortable just kind of sharing their knowledge freely um and i you know i i i'm really excited that that that's where we're at with things and that that's what we're you know as a community we've, we've kind of just said you know what no this is this is we want everyone here to grow and to get better and the best way to do that is to share knowledge is to to kind of say yeah this is how i did this this is the material i use here's a tutorial on how to do it um right and I, I you know i think designing in the art world is the same way uh you know i i've learned so much in recent years just by reaching out to artists that who you know were doing things that i was like man that's mind-blowing i don't know how you know, how they're doing that and I would just toss them a message and they would be like, oh yeah, here, here, this is how this is done. Here's a, here's a link to the brushes I use, you know, like stuff that, yeah, like a decade ago, people were being more guarded about. And I don't know if that's a generational shift or if it's something that's just the, the attitude of the, the community in general has just gotten better. But I think that this idea that, you know, we're all in this together and if it's something that we're all passionate about, we should be willing to, to share our knowledge and make us, you know, kind of like a, a rising tide lifts all boats kind of deal. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy with where the cosplay community has gotten to over the past decade and where it's going. And, um, you know, while I may not continue to take on costume commissions in, in the same way that I have over the past few years, uh, I'm always going to be involved in some way. Uh, in in cosplay and cosplay design, it's just gonna you know it'll take different forms over time. 
that are more suited to uh, you know the cosmic community and, and the resources available and uh, you know kind of trying to make things more accessible to people so uh, it's gonna be an exciting time for sure yeah yeah absolutely um, let's see I'm just trying to rack my brain on the fly um so you've been throughout this past year have you been streaming like a little bit more often than usual or um well you know i've i was very early on and you know it was exciting but um it got to a point where there were definitely times when i i burnt out streaming um i uh You know, it, it was, I, I got some assignments um, earlier last year uh, from Blizzard, you know, working on a couple of stuff, you know, a couple of assignments for Heroes of the Storm. Um, and during those periods of time, I, I wasn't allowed to stream. And, so, but it was, it was, you know, it was uh, projects that were really kind of keeping me afloat. So I had to kind of just keep, keep working on them. And, you know, so I wasn't able to do any sort of streaming I had to prioritize doing that kind of work. Um, and during that period of time, you know, I stopped streaming. I got back to a position where I was able to stream a little bit uh, later in the summer. And then I, I burnt myself out, uh, mostly because uh, I have a lot of commissions that I'm, I'm trying to get caught up on. Stuff that like was, I, I basically lined up right before the pandemic and then the pandemic hit and it's been just kind of madness trying to get caught up yeah uh, because you know once that hits suddenly now so much of my day gets dedicated to doing things that are other than working on commissions or working on stuff you know getting commissions squared away it's it's literally like well what do i need to do to sur to, sur to survive what do i need to do to make money to you know keep us uh and so like commissions they're still there but they had to kind of be pushed down the priority list and you know for the most part everybody on my commission list that had uh, commissioned me was very 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 understanding and patient of that and you know forever grateful there were a couple people who were uh not as understanding <laughs> and um that was some stress that i wish i didn't have to go through but um you know people got to do what they feel is is best for them and and their you know their their career and that's fine um but uh, you know, I I got back into streaming again over the the winter and earlier on this year, and it's been uh, it, it's been pretty pretty consistent. I've been having a lot more fun. Uh, you know, I decided that I actually I don't want to work on cosplay commissions while I am on stream, and I want to work on other kind of more community centric projects while I sure. So whether it's a design that the community has helped me come up with, or it is something that is for my Twitch community, or it is something that is like a, a, a Twitch overlay or something fun that isn't, you know, a commission, uh, that that is far more valuable to me on stream than working on a cosplay commission. Because when, when you're working on a cosplay commission and you're on stream, it's like having you know, if you've got like eight or 10, you know, commissions out there in the wild that you have to get through, 
right. and you choose to work on one of them on stream, it's like having, you know, eight or 10 bosses that'll sometimes kind of lurk around your, your desk and come in and like peek over your shoulder at what you're doing. And it's like, if it's, yeah, the yeah, person that you're, if it's the person that you're, if you're actually doing, you know, the commission for the person that comes to peek in, then it's like, well, now I'm, there's this pressure that they may, may not like what I'm doing or that I'm not working fast enough or. Yeah. It's like, it's like you're almost bringing in your real, well, Right. No, and no, then, no, it, no, it is. It, you're right. bringing your real life job into streaming, which is a little <laughs> bit more stressful or not enjoyable. Like, like if you if you did your commission on stream, like every once in a while, sure, I get that. That's fine. Yeah. If you were yeah, doing yeah. every single stream, it could yeah. make it a lot more not enjoyable, not fun. <laughs> That's right. why I think when you mentioned like doing stuff for your like stream community, like, yeah, I don't know if you That's, like painting, like painting your walls on stream or. Yeah, I was this week. I was. Oh, yeah. I, was painting, oh, I was painting my my room, and you know, like so, I I just you know after a while it starts because if you're if you end up say it, it's even worse when you're working on something right, and somebody else you have a commission open for, uh, comes on stream and you they see that you're not working on theirs, then they get upset about that. So it's like oh god. So it's and there's like <laughs> if there's like eight people in line, they don't know which order, you know, in line that they are. So oh like, so if I'm trying to rotate through a bunch of different projects to get a little bit of progress to everybody, it it's just kind of a completely in, inopportune thing to be doing because you just everybody gets upset no matter what you do. So I you know I made the decision. Look, you know, I'm just I'm I'm not doing this on stream anymore. I am going to focus on doing things that are more focused on or more you know centric to the streaming experience in general for the people that are here yeah. um i don't want to have to deal with this like feeling like i have 10 bosses looking over my shoulder and even even for the ones that were really understanding and everything i i, I appreciate the heck out of them you know but it's like it's not fair yeah. to them either uh for me to be doing that where you know i they they don't know exactly when you know i'm going to be working on their stuff and they, you know they might come on and be like well what you know why on mine even if they're very understanding and they're they're patient which most of them are um yeah it's just it's just easier to just do that stuff when i can focus on it in its entirety and i'm not trying to keep track of what's going on in chat and i'm not trying to like Trying to entertain yeah. them and like have right, right, right. on your brain. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's more fair to my stream family because they get to be in, more engaged in something that isn't that doesn't have some sort of like personal bent to a particular you know cosplayer or something. Uh, so they can get more excited about what I'm doing because it, ultimately it's something almost you know specifically tailored to them. Uh, I can be more engaging with them, uh, and you know because I don't feel like I'm necessarily like on the clock, so to speak. Um, and then it's yeah. more fair to the people that I have commissions to because I can, you know, when I'm focusing on what I'm doing for them, it, it's really focused on them. It's focused on what, you know, their commission needs. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a trial and error thing to, to kind of figure out how to incorporate uh, that, you know, into streaming. Like, how do you handle, you know, doing commissions? I think that some streamers have an easy time doing commissions on stream. Um, I just, you know, I kind of got to the point where I'm like, that's just not, it's not for me. It's, I, I can't do it. It's not, 
it's not fair to really anybody involved and yeah. it was burning me out. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of, I, I had to stop stream for a while and kind of just really think things out. And when I came back, I was like, look, here's, here's what the case is. This is what we're doing. And, uh, you know, this is, this is how I'll be able to focus on things. And, you know, most people were super understanding of it. So I'm, I, and I was really, really thankful for that. So, uh, you know, moving forward, that's pretty much how my streams are going to run. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's actually been a lot easier to, to get back on and start streaming. It's been less stressful. It's been, le there's been it's felt like there's less pressure. Um, that's that's cool. how it, yeah. And that's how, it, yeah, it's like, that's how it should feel. Like you shouldn't that's feel like streaming. Yep. 100%. Yeah, it shouldn't feel like streaming is like a, a burden or it's, it's stressful. It should be something you want to do and you want to interact with people and, uh, so it's, 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 it's getting to a point where it's feeling like it, it did, you know, a few years ago, uh, where it just, there was no pressure and people enjoyed themselves and they were engaging in chat and I was able to engage in chat and, uh, yeah, it, it's just a better, it's a better way of doing things for sure. Right. No, could I, could I, I bring up the whole, like, um, how has content creation been for you? Because I feel like a lot of cosplayers that essentially do this as their full-time job, like they've, they've sort of felt that, I don't know when or at various different points of the pandemic, I feel like I feel like at the start when everyone was told to like mostly stay inside, they would just like most of the, most of the females and males that did this with their either when they had a Patreon or OnlyFans or they dropped Patreon and now specifically are focused on OnlyFans, um, they would be like, oh, hell yeah, like, I I already stay inside most of the day. I'll get a lot of content done. Like, I shoot my own stuff and blah, 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 but then mm -hmm. then I would just see on Sunday, they would just post about it either on their OnlyFans or, you know, on their social media handles about feeling super unmotivated or down, like, as the pandemic was starting to uh, continue on when it mm -hmm. didn't like there was an end in sight. So I feel like I think that I think that yeah, it was it, there was definitely a shift in mentality. I think everybody at least initially when they're like, oh well, this is this will be a weird, you know, short period of our lives where you know things are just a little bit wonky, and I'll just stay inside, and you know I'll play some video games or whatever, and it'll be fine. And I think it's once people started to realize that this is this was not going to be wrapping up anytime soon. And that, you know, like this was a, a very serious problem and, and, you know, it was causing a lot of other avalanching issues. Um, that, de that definitely took a kind of a, a toll on people uh, mentally. I mean, myself included. Um, you know, all of 2020, uh, 2020 is just going to go down in history as being one of the, just the worst years ever, I think, uh, just in general. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for, for a lot of us, it was like we were just watching as, you know, essentially the world burned outside and some of us celebrated it. And it was like, um, can, can we not, please, can we just not be this way? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think everybody, you know, went through a lot. And I think that we're going to be processing the trauma uh, of everything that we went through, whether we, we lost somebody or not. I mean, I lost several uh, very, very good friends. Um, 
this, this year. And it was, it was, it continues to be extraordinarily difficult uh, to deal with that and to kind of, you know, cope with the reality of that. Um, you know, and it, but at the same time, it kind of makes me more appreciative of the friends that I have uh, that are that are here, and and you know the ones that maybe I I didn't always uh, message or you know say hi to when I, I, I had the opportunity because I'm like oh, I'll see you next time or whatever. It's it definitely has kind of given me a different perspective on on you know the, the time you spend with people and uh, making the most of that time. Um, yeah, am I one of those friends that you don't message? <laughs> Oh no! Did it I was always like I was hesitant to commit to go meet up with friends or whatever because I'm like, well, I got stuff I got to do. I can't really, uh, you know, spend the time to do that. But now I'm like, yes, let's just do that. If it's just, I mean, it's a few hours. Uh, you know, I'll I can I can make up for it elsewhere. I don't you know, I don't have to be constantly working. <laughs> like I, I want to be able to see my friends. So you know, uh, it's been a little easier to plan to go do stuff because you know you you you're sitting here going, you know, I don't. I don't want to look back on it and go, man, I wish I, you know, I had taken that opportunity to spend that day with them. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like I, I, I'd want to visit my friends if possible. Cause I've got a lot of people that just live all over the country or I may just have to suck it up and wait for the next con <laughs> when that happened again. And, Part of me wants to shoot for Katsukon because I don't, due to uh, family reasons, um, I don't know when I'll be able to go back to New York Comic Con again. Because mm-hmm. um, that's just a whole mess in itself. But oh yeah, yep. Even even still, like I don't even because they're one of the cons that's opening back up in limited for limited quantities. I don't know what that mm-hmm. means. Like it's a limited amount of badges being sold. Yeah, yeah. I know that's being opened up. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of people saying that they've got their rooms and tickets booked for Hallmat out in December. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's coming up. Um, I mean, I think all oh, that's a good thing. I think that people, yeah, you know what I've been what I've been telling everybody is that we we have to. It's one thing to say. Oh well, things are going back to normal. I don't think we should think about it in that way. I don't think because the thing is, is like what what is normal? Because when you really look at kind of how everything was structured and how it has been for years, I don't know what normal means. I don't know what that is. So for me, I've been saying I've been less inclined to say things are going back to normal or that I, I want things to go back to normal. And it's more so been like, I want things to go back to a sense of familiarity. I want to be able to go to the same places that I've, I'm familiar with going to, you know, and, and see the people that I'm, I'm familiar with seeing. But the idea of going back to normal kind of ignores everything that's happened. And the fact that there's nothing normal about any of this. There's nothing normal about any of how, you know, people are, are, are being expected to cope with all of this stress, uh, how, you know, many, many, many uh, state, local, you know, authorities have failed uh, 
uh, you know, their their communities uh, in in how they've responded and how they've how they've gone about uh, trying to help people through all of this. Uh, and you know, if if we try to normalize it and we try to go back to like, oh well, uh, I can go back out to the bar now, so I'm going to just forget that any of this happened. Then you know, like you 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 miss the opportunity to lose to to learn a very 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 crucially important lesson or two. And uh, oh yeah, for me, like you know, life is it's it's about those lessons. It's it's you can't go through life ignoring when big things happen and just like trying to get past them because they're too traumatic to think about. It's like no, you have to think about them. You can be traumatized. You can, you can, you can go. You know what? This is really traumatic for me. So you have to kind of give me a second. You know, when when we're talking about it or whatever, I get that. But the whole like, oh, I'm feeling triggered. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about this. That you know, we need to get past that. I understand that things are traumatic, and I think that it's valid for people to say, you know, this is difficult to talk about, and it's it's. We need to maybe shift the way that we approach talking about it, but I think we need to be able to talk about it. We need to be able to talk about where things went wrong, where where people failed, and you know what could be done to prevent it in the future. And you know, people wanting to ignore it because it's too too traumatic. I understand you might have trauma, and you, you know you you have to to cope with it. And I'm all on board for f people finding whatever mechanism they can to help cope with some something, right? Yeah. But but I've already started to see people that are adverse to even talking about what what we all just went through because they're like, "That's oh, too triggering." It's like, no, 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 no. Like everybody went through that. Everybody had to go through it. Uh, you don't get to sit there and claim, "Oh, well, it's too triggering for me personally." It's like, no, everybody lost somebody. We need to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And the way we do that is by confronting it, is by confronting what happened, what went wrong, and what we can do next time, if, it, if there is a next time, or what we can do to prevent a next time. You know, retreating into a hole uh, and not wanting to deal with it. You know, it's, 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 it's one thing if you're like, you're seeing somebody, you're, you're, you're going to therapy, I think that's healthy. I think that's, you know, if, you, if you're having a, a tough time, you know, being able to talk about it, that's what you should be doing. You should be talking, you know, to, to people who are professionals. You should be getting help. Uh, but completely just wanting to just disengage from it, which is I've seen I've seen a few people uh, wanting to do that. That's dangerous. That's that is uh, that doesn't help anybody. It, it puts us in a situation where we could very easily repeat the same thing. Uh, not too far, you know, too too far down the road, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in doing that again. I want to get to the bottom of what happened, and where we can we can shore up, you know, uh, every community and and to prevent that from happening again. Um, right, right. How do we how do we improve, you know, our education system so that people are not so averse to science that they think that it's a good idea. To, to inject bleach into themselves or, or, you know, like that they're like, they're so averse to science that they don't trust the idea of, of, of wearing a mask or they think it's some sort of infringement on their freedoms. Like, where did we fail these people? How do we fix that? That's what we should be discussing. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I, I, I just, yeah. I, I mean, it's, I, I get to the point where now when I hear someone saying, I don't want to talk about it because it's too triggering. It's like, you know what? We all went through it. It's triggering for all of us and it's going to happen again if we don't talk about it. So like in most cases, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more sensitive to when people don't want to talk about something dramatic, you know, because, I think, you know, you do have to be cognizant of, of what, you know, some people are going to be uh, capable of talking about in a given moment. But I think that when it comes to something like this, where if we don't talk about it, there's, there's a very real chance of us mm. kind of allowing it to happen again and more people to have to go through that trauma. I think it's our responsibility to engage with what happened and go, okay, what do we need to do next? You know, how do we, how do we get away from this? So, like I said, you know, conventions, yes, I think, you know, I'm glad that they're coming back. I'm, I'm glad that people are being excited about, you know, wanting to go back to conventions and, and, and see people in person again. They should be. But I think that we also need to, you know, uh, like when we see somebody wearing a mask out in, in public, uh, you know, even after everybody's been vaccinated and, you know, if you see someone feeling that they just, they need to wear a mask. I don't think we should be judging them for that. I don't think we should be faulting oh, for that at all. Yeah. I think that we should embrace that that, I mean, personally, I liked the fact that I didn't get so much as a sniffle all year uh, because I was keeping it away from everybody. I think that, you know, being able to talk about uh, public sanitation and how you know tax dollars should be spent to to help uh you know people who are are in more vulnerable circumstances i think that that's something that you know we should be discussing and so i, I you know i'm excited for for things to be getting back to a sense of familiarity as i was saying but um right i think but i think we need to be willing to have those tough uh those difficult discussions. And, um, you know, I just hope that that more people, uh, you know, end up agreeing with me on that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I just I don't want to use I don't I you know, I, I've, I've committed myself to not using the, the phrase getting back to normal. Uh, for the very reason that I, I, we never really were at a state of normal. And that's kind of the problem that was everybody thought it was normal. Uh, and it wasn't. There was nothing, nothing normal about how things. Were. There, yeah, there were, there were, there were just so many issues of what normal was that caused this giant failure of the country's response to this whole pandemic. That no, yeah, you want to get back to something that's familiar, but then also to a new sort of normal, so that this kind of shit never happens again. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, we should be fighting to create a new normal, a new, uh, a new sense of, of, of uh, holding people accountable for things, like whether it was, you know, with uh, government agencies that were, were not uh, doing what they were supposed to do to help protect people, especially vulnerable people in inner cities, uh, or if it's a racial justice issue, or, you know, like there needs to be a new sense of normal that comes out of this, where we normalize things like accountability. We normalize things like uh, kind of accepting objective fact or understanding the scientific process so that when 
you know, what, what's been really frustrating to me is, you know, I, I watch a lot of the news and, you know, you'll, you'll hear news anchors that, you know, these are educated people. I don't know why they ask this question where they'll, they'll have like a director of the CDC or something on, right? And they'll say, well, you know, a few months ago, your organization was saying this and now they're saying that. How can people, you know, uh, trust you? And it's like, you should know that the answer is to that is simple. That's science. You get new information and you act on it. And you can't get hung up on the fact that, oh, well, we already said this a few months ago. It's like, no, you act on the information you have. And when you get new information, you change your stance. And even if that means all the opinion. Yeah, don't focus yeah. on the past opinion that you made if they were wrong. Yeah. I mean, it could if, if you found something that makes no, more it, sense. Exactly. Most scientists will tell you that there's actually, there's no difference in terms of the levels of excitement uh, between when they're proven right and when they're proven wrong. Like a, a scientist will be just as, a, a true scientist will be just excited, just as excited when they're, when something that they've, they've uh, put out there as a theory is proven wrong as they are when they're proven right, because it's data, it's information. They're closer to understanding something. And I think that th this was a big problem this year where people would be like, well, I don't trust the CDC because, you know, three, three weeks ago they were saying the opposite. It's like, yeah, we didn't have this data and we didn't have the information. So like, I understand, but, and I mean, at the same time, the CDC wasn't necessarily giving people advice that was dangerous. They were, they always acted out of kind of a, 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 a you know, a sense of overly cautious. So when, you know, in, initially they were like, yeah, you know what, it probably won't hurt to, to wash your groceries when you get them back home. And then, you know, later on they were like, yeah, you know what, that's not really necessary. Uh, there were people who were angry about that, about them changing their mind about it. And it's like, we learned more information. So that helped guide the new guidance. Like why, why is that such a foreign concept? Sorry for not getting it right the first time. <laughs> I mean, you should be excited that they've learned since that they've learned new information and now they can change that guidance. Like, why are you angry about the fact that they told you to do it in the first place? It's like, no, they, they were saying, we don't know, but you know, out of an abundance of cautious, uh, caution, until we do know, it's probably not a bad idea. Right. So, <laughs> so I mean, I, I, I it's frustrating mm -hmm. to me when uh, I see people in the community too. And there, I mean, I've, when I say I've lost friends, this, this pandemic, not all of them to COVID and not all of them died. I've literally lost friends just from me going, you know, I, I can't associate with this person anymore. They, they are spreading dangerous misinformation. Uh, they are being, you know, willfully ignorant of what's going on around them. They're, they are, you know, they're being, uh, you know, incredibly dickish about certain things, if that's a word, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, these are people that I have had over my home. Uh, these are people that I've, I've, you know, I've done projects with, and I've been, I've had to basically cut them out of my life because I'm like, I can't abide having somebody with that kind of a toxic attitude uh, and a, a complete disregard for, for science, for, for uh, objective reality in my life. I, I, I'm, you know, 2020 was a lot of me pruning the hedges, so to, so to speak. Um, and I think, I think it was probably that way for a lot of people, actually. Uh, you know, it didn't, 
that I think that was the biggest thing is that it, it, it revealed to a lot of people, you know, what, what people around us that we surrounded ourselves with are actually like, whether they're people that you can really depend on when, when, you know, shit hits the fan, or if they're the kind of people that, you know, you might enjoy having a beer with, but at the end of the day, you're not going to trust them to do the right thing in a crisis situation. You know what I mean? Like, no, yeah. Uh, so I mean, and I and I'm thankful for all of that. I'm thankful for that insight, uh, whether it's one way or the other. Because you know, if it's somebody who's toxic, who you kind of need to cut out of your life, it's better you do it sooner than later. So, like, hey, great. Don't have to you know spend years trying to figure this out. They've done it for me. <laughs> and then you know, at the same time, when you know you know that you you know you have somebody that really kind of pulls through for you. Uh, in in a moment where you know you're in you're in a, a tough spot, it's good to know you know who you can also depend on, and I think that uh, I think that a lot of us have kind of gone through uh, a period this year where we a lot of that's become uh, very you know a lot a lot more clear than it maybe had been. So uh, you know you're going to have a little bit of a coalescing uh, around certain ideals, um, even within the cosplay community, even within smaller, you know, friend groups, I think there's, there are, you know, we've, we've been kind of shown where a lot of us stand on certain things. And I think that was an important thing to have happen. So, uh, it'll be interesting. Right. It'll be interesting getting into, into the world and seeing that stuff play out. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that stuff could not ring any, uh, truer to my own life this past year where I've really doubled down on the fact and realizing that, you know, family doesn't have to be strictly by blood when your own blood sort of treats you like shit or doesn't really yeah. Yeah. appreciate what you've been trying to do or really doesn't believe in you. Oh, yeah. I You got to, you know, you know, you, <laughs> you can't, yeah. what is it? You can't choose who you're related to but you can choose your family. Yeah. That's, that's what I've always heard is you, you can't choose who you're, who you're related to, who you're blood related to, but you can choose who you, you, who you see as family. Yeah. And, uh, I will say there's, there are people that I'm related to by blood, mostly like, uh, extended, you know, family, but, uh, that I'm like, no, don't need to, I don't need to associate with those people ever again. I, I, I just don't, I don't, you know, I don't wish them ill, but it's like I have no need to share anything about my life with these people. They uh, they are you know fundamentally different uh, than I am, and they're they're going to be remain that way. Yeah, and no, you know their their attitude is toxic to people I care about, so I, I don't need to have them around. Um, and then at the same time, there have been people who like you know I'm not related to who have been there for me in ways that you know you would expect a family member to be there yeah. for. And I think that that's a profound thing that we need to, you know, as a generation, as a community, uh, as a group of people need to embrace. We need to embrace the fact that, you know, we've in many you know cases found new family members uh, through adversity here. And I think that's a great thing. Yeah. No, I mean. Um... Eh, fuck it, whatever. Uh, <laughs> no, because it's no, because. I, I doubt they. I don't. I don't know who in my family listens to the goddamn podcast. So I don't <laughs> give a shit uh, if I put them out on blast. I really don't. 
but yeah. uh, essentially, I would kick I would kicked out of the house that I was living in for years mm-hmm. uh, because I've been working my ass off and trying to find another job to get out of the warehouse that I was in previously, mm-hmm. and it had gotten to a point where you know my mom and I had been fighting a lot over this uh, earlier this year, ever since my more yeah more so like 2019 2020 like after my dad passed away and mm-hmm. um it got to a point where you know she kind of forced me to go see the therapist with her and threatening having a house over my head if i didn't go to these sessions yeah and um essentially it all boiled down to you know i was still like applying to jobs as i'm sure you're aware mm-hmm. it's different you know you apply online mostly, takes a couple of clicks, and then you can't do a goddamn thing about it. You just yeah, cross your finger and whatever. Yeah, well, that's what I've been. That's what I was doing. Uh-huh. And um, you know, twenty twenty was coming along. They had at the start gave me till the end of the year to move out. Okay, fine, plenty of time. They wanted me to make an Excel spreadsheet. Of every job that I've applied to and update it with the status of every job. Is that gonna get me a job? Okay, we in. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. It happens. I'll just yeah, I can just there there there's gonna be a moment of silence, so I'll I'll see it on the audio readout, so I can just yeah, like boop boop cut best, it out. Yeah, it's the best well, best part about doing things uh recorded. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh okay. So Excel spreadsheet. Uh-huh. Is that going to get me a job? <laughs> How's that going to help? I'm legitimately asking you this question, yes or no? What? If, if you if you made an Excel spreadsheet? And update it with every job that I've applied to with the status of it. Is that going to help? Not really, no. It's just going to take up, t- take up your time, honestly. Okay, good. I'm not the only one that felt that way. So I didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't do this, and they came to another meeting with mom, my mother, and the therapist. And they're like, so why didn't you do it? And I was just like, it doesn't help. It's more time, and I just want you to fucking trust me. And they're like, okay, well, if you're not going to do what we tell you to do, this was in April? Yeah. If we're not going to do, if you're not going to do what you tell what we tell you to do, now you got three months. Yikes. To get out. Yeah. Okay. I don't, you know, I don't Somehow understand. I Somehow I did. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's that's awesome that you were able to kind of get yourself out of there. And then just a couple of months ago, like, I got a new job. Well, there you go. So everything just somehow worked out. But it's just like. You know, if I ever bring that up, like sometimes my mom will just go like, "Why do you have this giant chip on your shoulder?" Like, no, that traumatized me emotionally. Right. Yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to get over that. Right when you when you when you need somebody there who is is family, and you expect them to to be able to you know be there for you in a in a, in a moment of crisis, and they're not. That's that's pretty that's pretty frightening. Like. I, I had, you know, some similar experiences, but, uh, you know, luckily I, I, 
like at this point, I, I've I've kind of come to groups where uh, with kind of where I sit with family members, like in terms of like how much weight I give their opinions or, you know what I mean? Cause like you can still care about somebody, but also not like give anything that they have to say or any of their opinions, any sort of weight. <laughs> like I, I've, I've realized that at some point it's like, yeah, you know what? I don't care if my crazy uncle has this weird idea because uh, he's not a part of my life. And if he wants to have it, as long as he's having it over there and he's not bothering, you know, my friends with it or me, uh, and he's just quiet about it, whatever, man. Like I, it's funny cause like that's the same argument that they always tended to make against, you know, uh, uh, you know, gay marriage was that they were like, well, as long as they do it in their own room, why, you know, why should I care? It's like, yeah, that's still, I mean, it's great that you're okay with it, but that's kind of a shitty way to be okay with it. But, <laughs> but it's like with this, it's like, nope, this is where we're at now where it's like, you know what, if you want to be weird, bigoted, uh, just do it over there and do it quietly. So that I don't have to deal with you. Right. If you want to be a bigot. If right. you want to be a bigot, you know, do it over there and do it quietly and don't don't open your mouth around me. Uh, you know, and then we can at least I'm not saying we're gonna be, you know, buddy buddy, but you know, I, at least I, I won't want to punch you in the mouth uh, you know, every ten yeah. seconds. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you know, we're in a very we're in a very different world. Um than we were, you know, uh, a year and a half ago when you and I last spoke. So um, I think, I think all of us are a little bit more, you know, battle hardened in, in many ways. And at the same time, a lot of us are, you know, more traumatized than we were. Uh, and it's going to be kind of sorting through those, you know, the wreckage of all of that. That's going to be, uh, it's going to take probably decades to be honest, but yeah, you know, as long as we're there for each other and we can, you know, kind of, uh, you know, make sure that. We all kind of know, uh, we, you know, we, we, we reassure each other, hey, you know, you're not crazy. Everybody's dealing with this. Uh, you're not alone. You know, what you're feeling is valid. All of that's really important. I think it's really important that we, we remain, you know, there for each other. And this is exactly what I was talking about, where it's like you can, you know, you can choose. You, you, know, you can't choose who you're related to, but you can choose, your, you know, your family. And it's, it's, it's when people are there for you in that way when they're they're really there for you when you need them and in the way that you need them that's that's family not yep. you know people who are going to try to put conditions on it or are going to try to make you feel guilty about something afterwards or uh that's that's not what a family member does that's just not yeah and um you know uh i i i think that uh you know we'll we will find our feet. We will find, you know, kind of a, an equilibrium with each other at some point. But it's going to be, it's going to take some really difficult, really awkward conversations for us to get there. And uh, yeah. I just, my, my concern is that, you know, there's going to be enough people wanting to have those discussions uh, yeah. know, to, to, to make any progress. Because well, then there's also extended family on my dad's side. Well, I'm not, I'm speaking terms with you, my own social opinions, uh, mainly around our police system, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I'm a, okay, was it wrong of me to tweet out at some point that I hate all cops? Sure. That was a general <laughs> statement. It's not that I hate all cops. I just, I'm very untrustworthy of the system. Yep. But good reason. Apparently, 
because one of my cousins dates a cop. I can't have that opinion. Uh, yeah, they well, I mean, my 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 not take kindly to that. So they haven't talked to me since, and um, it's just been awkward whenever I do see them because I just remember I saw them at Thanksgiving uh, virtually, and uh, they didn't say a goddamn word to me. They didn't say hi to me or acknowledge I was there. So then I just finished the food and left. Yep. I'm not. I'm not dealing with this shit. I'm just yep. not. And do I miss sharing like all the stuff that I've been able to accomplish in this past year? Yeah, I do miss it. Like I love to show my extended family my nerd ass apartment. But I mean, if they just want to be broken up about this, fine. Because it, it it's starting to feel like it's on me to apologize for something that I didn't do. Right. Like this. and you shouldn't. And you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't have to feel like you need to apologize uh, over having, you know, a completely valid opinion about something. It's just because it's unpopular with them because, you know, oh, I mean, like that's, you know, that's the thing is like my, my dad is a retired cop. And, you know, uh, <laughs> when everything was going on uh, last summer with the protests, uh, he and I did not see eye to eye on it at all. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I had to think about it. It's like, well, you know, uh, how much should my dad's opinion on this really matter to me? Like, it, it doesn't. I love him, and I love him, and he can just be wrong, and that's fine. I don't like – he doesn't have to inflict it, – it, he doesn't have to inflict me or my friends with his, his ideas. You know, he can just be wrong and be over there and be quiet, and I don't care. Like I can still love him, but you know, I know there's some people who don't have that option who, you know, are kind of forced to have to confront these un, you know, th these really ugly truths about some people that they really, you know, have had to depend on, uh, you know, over time. And, um, you know, I think we'll, uh, we'll get to a point where we, we, we kind of start to shift, uh, the importance that we place on, on you know some people who were who may have had very you know a great deal of importance to us, um, you know growing up or, or whatever, and and we'll start to appreciate uh, other people more that maybe we we hadn't had that same level of appreciation for. So you know we'll we'll, we'll we will normalize uh, or we will yeah I mean that's actually the right use of the use of the word we will normalize it over time, but we have to choose what we decide is normal and that's that's going to be the the challenge is what yeah. do we decide what do we decide is normal after this point and what do we what do we not accept as being normal like what do we we, we reject as as normal so right. i think i think we've got we've got some work to do but uh i think that um as long as we can Kind of, you know, find a way to to help each other out when we need it, uh, and really kind of keep an eye out for each other. I think we'll we'll get there. We'll, we'll be in a we'll be in a better place five years from now, ten years from now. Uh, but it, it's going to take some work. It's not going to just happen on its own. So yeah. What's the main topic <laughs> of the show again? I don't know. I don't, <laughs> you're just catching catching up. I don't know. <laughs> We're just catching up. And, right. You know, no, I no, that's okay. Uh, quick, quick detour. Uh, E3 is happening this week. Yes. Uh, have you been watching any other conferences? 
I I haven't. Uh, I don't normally follow E3 only because, you know, I um, I don't own a console. I haven't owned a console in years. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I, I want one. I would love to have a console. You? <laughs> but it's it's literally like I just don't have the money for one. I don't, you know, like I, I, I play PC games. That's what I enjoy most. Uh, and, um, you know, I've been getting into some mobile games. But, you know, it's usually like when a console comes out, the price tag is usually just so cost prohibitive to me. Like, I, you know, like I don't have that kind of cash to sit around, you know, uh, to just pick, pick one up. Uh, so I always feel kind of like I'm out of the loop uh, with console games. There's so many that I would love to play too, like like Monster Hunter, and because like I love playing that on PSB when like way back in the day, the original Monster Hunter. I was really big into that. I was into Monster Hunter Two uh, way back in the day. But you know, I I, I can't I, I'm not, you know I can't pick up a, a PS4 or a PS5. Like I I just don't. I don't have that that cash. Like I you know I. Uh, so much of my time is spent working on stuff on my computers and my computer is my work machine. So like I, that I can justify having, you know, playing games on the computer, but uh, yeah, right. consoles are, consoles a bit, because like I used to always have, I used to always have a console. Like I think it was the last console that I bought for myself though. And you're gonna, I mean, you'll probably make fun of me for this <laughs> was a PS2. PS2 was the last console that I owned that I bought for myself that I was like regularly engaged in the games that were coming out for it and and stuff like that. Oh sweet Jesus! Yeah. So. <laughs> oh my god! It's ancient. Yeah, it's ancient. Yeah. It's like you know, somebody once told me if you know uh, if you want to make video games, uh, you have to kind of give up on being able to play them all the time. <laughs> Which I is also kind of it's kind of counterintuitive because you know you do in many ways you do need to play video games because you a need to kind of anchor yourself and like why you're doing this uh, you know why you're you're involved in in trying to create games but also uh, you know kind of keeping up with what's new what what is exciting what kind of things are out there. So I mean I do try to keep up with it, and I, and like I said I do play games. I just play cons or I play uh, you know desktop. I play PC stuff because that's what I have access to, and that's what I am pretty much always going to have access to. Uh, so I mean there's there's certain games that I'm excited about that are coming out for PC, but when it comes to console stuff, it's kind of like mm, uh, I'm not the person to ask. You're not really out <laughs> on much. It's like the exclusive, exclusive to consoles only, like. All the stuff that Sony gets, or right. Oh my God, you don't even have a Switch. Uh, no, I do not. <laughs> that that little sigh was hilarious. <laughs> it's like a gasp, but also like a sigh, like "Oh my God, what are we gonna do with you?" I'm so sorry. Uh, but I mean, that's that was, that was one thing I treated myself to last Christmas as yeah. part of the stream investment. I got another Switch because uh -huh. I had. So the story is. We got the OG Switch, my brother and I. It was mostly his because it was his money. And mm -hmm. then he moved out, took the Switch with him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought to myself, all the times I played the Switch, I would play it in handheld mode. Uh -huh. A lot of the RPGs that came out, or like if I bought some of the old RP old, or like the classic Final Fantasy when they got put to Switch, 
I just played in handheld mode. So then I decided, well, maybe getting a light wouldn't be that bad. So then <laughs> I got the Pokemon think... Sword and Shield edition. That was yeah. Cool. Then I wanted to get into streaming. Uh, yeah. I mean, I had a PS4. It, I, it, I, I imagine it's possible, but also very difficult to stream from a Switch Lite because it can't right. rock. Uh, and then I just so happened to find on Amazon the Animal Crossing New Horizons Switch. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Merry Christmas to me. <laughs> so I bought yeah. it. And so then that's my new Switch. But now all these rumors about the Switch Pro are coming around. I was like, God damn it, no. <laughs> I just well, got this thing. I think the thing that, that was most the thing, the, the only thing that I'm really disappointed, I mean, there's, there's like two things that I'm really disappointed about that I can't really like participate in, in terms of like not have, you know, not having a console. One is Final Fantasy VII Remake, because I've been waiting, I was, I was literally oh, waiting decades oh, for that, oh, that goddamn game. That. You can get into that. So, oh, yeah. And, and the fact that I wasn't able to play it because I don't have, you know, a, a, a P uh, was devastating to me. Uh, and then also Monster Hunter. I think those are the two franchises that like I would absolutely want to buy us, you know, a, a console for. Like they're like it's enough. Right. Right. Oh no. Internet outage again. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Double checking, double checking, double checking. This is a long episode. So MMO RPGs. Oh, there you, you go. Know. So like, uh, and then you know, just stuff like like Valheim was really exciting for me, and it still is. Uh, so there, you know, there's there's other things that kind of make up for it, but yeah, you know, I would I would love to have a uh, a console. It's just not not really in the cards right now, you know. Yeah. No. It. it so I think I think from what I've been hearing, uh. Seven remake is exclusive for six months, mm -hmm. or something like that. So it, it's going to come to PC soon. But you know what gets me is the fact that okay, you had the remake. Now you had integrated, which just came out. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. But then they add in this Yuffie story DLC that's PS5 specific. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking to myself, okay, the game came out at the end of the PS4 life cycle. I knew yeah. it would jump to PS5. I knew that was a given. The fact that they're doing this this soon, like barely a year after the game came out, pisses me off because you can't find a PS5. Right. Because right. of the pandemic and the shortage. Yep. Yep. And like, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, I'd be lucky if I got the thing by Christmas. Yeah. And so it no, pains me everyone that I I'm seeing that managed to get their hands on a one and are playing the game. Like I'm watching a walkthrough on YouTube of one of my favorite streamers, YouTubers that I like, plays through the game because I'm like, am I risking spoilers? Yes, but do I want to wait till Christmas? No. <laughs> well, yeah. I just have to bite the bullet and just get spoiled. Right. No, I and you know, I I think that there's there's a 
I think that's part of why I never bothered with consoles because you know back back early on, you know you wouldn't have a console come out every couple of years. It was like you'd be waiting literally just like half a decade more you know, or or more for an upgrade. So like. How long was the PS2 on top? Like, was that the big thing? How long did we wait for the PS3? Years. Years and years. Yeah. And I was okay with that because then it was like, well, uh, you know, eventually I, I thought for a while I was going to get a PS3 because I'm like, yeah, well, it's been long enough. I could probably get that. But I just never got around to it because it was, you know, I had other things going on. But and but now it's like PS4, PS5, they're already talking about the next one. It's like, can we stop? Like, why? Why? Like we're not even fully utilizing the, the the capabilities of one before jumping to the next machine. I just, I just, and I think I think that's what is appealing to PCs about you know to uh, to me about PCs is because you can literally just swap parts out if you need to, as long yeah. as your motherboard's capable of it, you can swap pieces and parts out and upgrade and be able to handle things. So yeah, no, uh, no. It it's the thing that got me that worried me about this next generation that we had PS4 and Xbox One, but then we had almost maybe maybe getting close towards that generation's lifespan. We then had the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X, and I'm like, wait, what? What is this? Is this an up? Is this an upgrade? What is it upgrade? Mm -hmm. Very little upgrade. Just visual fidelity, like I don't want that to happen with this next gen. Otherwise, you know, it's going to be a shit show, <laughs> money wise. Right. right, exactly. So I, I, you know, like consoles, sure. Like you know, I know some people are really, really, really into consoles, and that's great. Uh, I'm just not one of them. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I, I, I can take it or leave it. You know, like I, I uh, for me, it's all about. PC gaming, it, it, I don't, you know, fault people who are into consoles. I think that's great. I think that is something that they enjoy, then that's what they should they should be doing. That's what they should be investing their money in and everything like that. Just like I don't, I don't fault people who are into mobile games. Like if people are engaging in gaming because they're getting into mobile gaming, great. I don't care. Like I'm not going to be some sort of weird like look down at my nose snob just because somebody chooses a game on their phone or on a tablet instead. Like. Right. Who am I? Like, if as long as they're enjoying it and having fun, that's the point. Like, that's what they're supposed to be doing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like, I think that uh, we need to get to a, a, a place, honestly, um, where we just, you know, we stop faulting people for enjoying gaming the way that they enjoy gaming. Oh, and you know, sure. and you know, like. Like, you know, like I, I've been really, really enjoying some mobile games during the pandemic because sometimes, you know, that little moment where I'm I'm soaking in a tub or if I'm, you know, having lunch or whatever and I'm just on my phone, that might be the only opportunity that I get that day to do any sort of gaming. So I'll, I'll, I'll play like there's a really awesome Gundam game that I'm into. Uh, there's Raid Shadow Legends is a really cool game. I, I love the design in that game. Like the design is great. Uh, you know, I was playing Genshin Impact for a while, which was really outside of my normal, <laughs> uh, you know, what I normally grab towards, but it, it it's a lot of fun. It was really impressive, you know, that they were able to get that much information into a, a mobile game. 
I'm excited for Diablo Immortal. I know a lot of people aren't, but I am one of the ones that is, uh, especially since I've watched some friends playing it on stream lately, and it looks freaking amazing. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I really feel like there's a, a lot of potential in mobile games as, as, you know, our phones get more powerful and, as, you know, things uh, become more oh, yeah. casual. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think we need to kind of shed this whole, like, weird, you know, competitive uh, stripe that some people ends up, end up having uh, in terms of, like, oh, you play mobile games? Well, get away from me because, you know, I don't want to talk to you. It's like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, uh, it's, gaming is gaming. Like, we should. Just, I wouldn't say cool. it's more a competitive thing, more of like a stigma. Like, oh, you play mobile games? What are you, a girl? Yeah. What are you, a little right. Yeah, it's like nonsense. It's like, it's like I'm not sitting here playing Candy Crush, even though Candy Crush can be fun too. Like, I, I'm, you know, I'm playing something that's kind of intense. Like, there's nothing wrong with 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 that kind of stuff. Like, I don't. I've never understood the weird kind of like gatekeepy mentality that that uh, the gaming community can have on. Uh, on occasion, and and I mean, I've I've pushed back against it every every any time that I see it, I try to push back on it because right. it's like who who are you to dictate to other people, you know, about how they should be enjoying gaming or what kind of experience that they should be trying to have while gaming? Like gaming is it's different things to different people, and if if all they want is a short little kind of easy kind of cathartic thing that they can you know use. Uh, you know, while they're on the on an elevator or something uh, on the way to their job, then great. If that's how they experience it, great. Uh, if it's something where they're going to dump tons of time into it, you know, once uh, a week, uh, you know, on their day off, and they're going to spend their whole day doing that, that's great too. If it's something that they're going to go hardcore with and they're going to like play nonstop and they're going to try to make a living as a you know competitive gamer, like they want to get into competitive Overwatch or something like that. Great, that's great too. Like, well, there's room for every kind of gamer out there. So I don't understand why people try like pushing their weird stigmas out there. Like, oh, game, you know, mobile gaming is just for girls. It's like, okay, well, you know that most of the people who play video games today are girls. Like, <laughs> yeah. do I do I do I need to point that out? Like, statistically, like, okay, I'll point it out. Uh, you know, a a larger portion of the gaming world is female now than it was. Yep. I've read you know? that. I've heard about that. Yep. So, yeah. And it's been that way for a few years. So I don't know what this whole, like, ah, God, the weird stigma is. I think we, I mean, we're doing better at starting to weed out some of the toxic masculinity that we see in places uh, like the gaming community. I think we still have a, a long way to go, but I'll tell you, I, I, I'm more enthused about the progress that I'm seeing in gaming culture than I than I ever was about comics culture because uh, <laughs> comics culture man like there's some areas of that that are just unsalvageable I think uh, <laughs> yeah I believe like that. if you ever if you ever see like uh, you know like Marvel forums or, or like you know you'll, you'll go on like reddit or see like a Marvel subreddit or something else oh my god the toxicity is just it's it's like man how does this person like sometimes i have to read a comment and be like how does this person function on a like a day-to-day -day basis without like <laughs> just oh, having man. a freaking aneurysm over nothing like like ah captain marvel's not supposed to be like this and, uh, they're gonna be like that and wow that's why this happened it's like 
can you not like can you just why they make people? you black oh woke culture yeah. oh give me a goddamn break yeah it's like get over it like it's not about you it never was like let it go <laughs> yeah i don't know like i i i that's i'll tell you one thing that's like it's not that i didn't already kind of operate this way but uh, if I do end up going back to conventions where I'm doing tables or something like that, I'm definitely not putting up with any of that within earshot of me. Like, not that I didn't already kind of like speak up when when I could about you know what if I'd hear somebody saying something, but like you'd be amazed at how often like I would I would I would see somebody that was excited about like a you know you'd see like a, a little boy that was excited about a Wonder Woman print or something like that. And then he'd be there with his his dad or his old brother or something, and they'd be like, "Oh, you don't want that. That's that's girl, that's girl stuff." And it's like, "Bitch, what? Like, what did you just say?" Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm sorry. You're saying Wonder Woman is only for girls? Like, hmm. Okay, I guess you've never like actually you know read or or you know gotten into it at all because it's. It's not like there is definitely plenty of room and like vice versa. There would literally be mothers that would like try to steer their daughters away from, from, you know, certain comics because they're like, well, that, that's, that's for boys that you don't want, you don't want to look at that. I was like, are you, I'm, I'm sorry. What? Like, can, can you stop trying to tell your kid what is normal that, that they should be appreciating or what, you know, what they can or can't like, like if right. they like it, let them like it. Yeah. If they're into it, let them be into it. You, like that, you know, you don't know what kind of effect, like what kind of positive impact that, you know, that particular story might have on them in some way. Like it, it's all fantasy stuff. Like let them enjoy fantasy stuff. Like why yeah. do we, I hate, I cannot stand gatekeeping people. And that, that you know, that's comics, that's cosplay, that's uh, gaming. That's it's all nerd culture is meant to be. Inclusive. All nerd culture. Yep. It's meant to be inclusive. It, like we we've always been the ones that were kind of on the outside. Like we were always kind of the 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 outsiders anyway, the 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 exiles, so to speak. That's what nerd culture was, you know. And yeah. then when it became ma mainstream, now there's these people trying to like dictate what you know who are who can or can't be into nerd culture. And it's like, are you? Are you serious? Like you're just doing the exact thing that people did to you to make you feel like an outsider. Like an outsider. Like, yep. Exactly. Yeah, it's like stop. Would you just stop that? Like I, I, I and I've actually I've actually yelled at people at a convention before. Like uh, not yelled, but like called them out on it on the convention floor before. Uh right. And they weren't but you know what? I don't, I'm not here for their happiness. I'm there for their, you know, the kid that they're trying to indoctrinate with the idea that they can't like, you know, a particular comic or a particular, you know, art or something because it's specific to a, a particular gender. It's like, are would you stop? Just stop with your weird ideas. Like I, <laughs> like I was a little bit more eloquent than that, but that was essentially the gist of what I was getting at when I was, you know, had discussion with them. It's like you need to stop. You need to stop putting these weird ideas into your kid's head. Like, you know, comics, exactly. gaming, it's all, it's for everybody. You know, you, you don't get to decide what they find interesting. Yeah. So just stop trying. <laughs>
For they sure. were not too happy with me. But you know, I don't I don't care. I'm not I'm not gonna sit there and watch that happen. Uh, you know, I've seen too many kids, you know, end up with like weird hangups and stuff about things because they were indoctrinated with the idea of this is how this is supposed to be, or you know, you're only allowed you're only supposed to like this if you're like this, or it's yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's a weird it's a weird nerve for yeah. me, I think. Yeah. Um well just slight well, I mean not slight, like back into E three territory, so uh -huh. you, got, <laughs> you got the Nintendo Direct, which is pretty much the only other direct that I'm looking forward to on Tuesday. Um I'm I am one hundred percent certain we're getting the next Smash character reveal for their DLC. And I will continue to be on this ride or die. Give me my score or re You goddamn <laughs> doctor, I put him in. I don't care if it's the four Square Enix character. Put them in the game. <laughs> <laughs> I will die on yeah. that. Hill. I will die on that hell. Care. Yeah. No, I I haven't played I haven't played Smash in a long time, so. I, I don't really have a. You don't have uh, a fortunate race. No, I don't. I really don't. <laughs> uh, I'm like, okay, you know, whatever ends up being in there, that's cool. It was added <laughs> Sephiroth. Oh my god. Yeah, no, that was really neat. I liked. I like. I always like the reveals. I don't play. Oh, they, they are works of art. Like he, they put yeah. effort in the trailer. It's so hilarious. They really do. And that's the thing. It's like I will enjoy trailers for things that I know I'll never play. Just because I—that's kind of how I am. I like—I love the artistry of it. I love the kind of the storytelling of it. I love that it gets people excited. So that's just yeah. You know. So even if it's like I'm—I don't play these things. Like I don't play that game. I can still get excited about it. And you know, but I'll tell you if I—if it was something. Hmm. Hmm. Uh -oh. Does isn't engaged in the the, the community that they you know for the game that they that they work on, and it's like, how are you able to do that? Like, you. You know, you you need to, to care about how the things that you're creating are, are impacting the people who support you, the people who support what you're doing. Uh, and so it's just mind it's mind blowing to me when I meet somebody who's like you know uh, a developer on a game or something, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I don't really play." What? What? Huh? <laughs> how? Like why? 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 That's odd. <laughs> Yeah, it, it 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 to me it's it's even more frustrating when it's like they have a job where I would love having it, <laughs> where I'm like I would love that job, I would take it very seriously and 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 care very much about what you know people enjoy and and what you know people hopes what their hopes are. I mean, I know you can't, you know, I know I know you can't let you know the fandom necessarily dictate uh, proper game development. Uh, 
choices, right? But you can, you know, it, it is it is a, it, it is important to have, kind of have your your thumb on the pulse of like what that community is thinking, what they're what they're what they care about, what matters to them, so that when you're you know developing something, you are developing something that you know you know isn't just going to fall on deaf ears. It's it's going to be meaningful to somebody. Yeah. So. I've been I've been trying to push closer and closer to, uh, you know, a full time position uh, doing game development because that's my passion. That's what I want to do, um, and it's it's difficult. It really, especially the past year, it's been very difficult. Uh, you know, the, even the work that I've done, um, you know, for Blizzard uh, has been curtailed quite a bit as they are trying to figure out what they want to prioritize. Uh, in terms of the games that they have. So you know, I technically have a contract with them until the end of the year, but I haven't gotten a, a single assignment uh, since maybe October of last year. So I'm kind of like, Whoa. like, what's going on, guys? What are we doing? Right, um, yeah. And, you know, it kind of makes me nervous because it's like, are, are they not contacting me because they don't want to use me? Or are they not contacting me because they le legitimately don't have anything in development? Uh, right, right. That's, that's like both of those are scary. So, uh, you know, I'm just trying to kind of figure out where where I fit into all that. But you know, hopefully soon. Hopefully I'll find some. I'll, I'll hear about it. Very well. Yeah. Oh man. What other? <laughs> I tend to, I tend to rant. About things for a while. No, it's fine. It, it it's just fine. lets us it leads us down paths where we're like, well, what were you even talking about? <laughs> no, I'm trying to think of what else could we talk about, but then I'm just like, oh, so just a heads up. I don't know if maybe you'll notice. I don't know if it's going to show up, but there was some moment where you would just talk, but then uh -huh. I guess you cut out, and then I just get nervous being like, did the internet cut out? But then you suddenly come back in during your random rant train of thought. Oh, like, okay, thank God. Oh boy! <laughs> so there might, there might be spots where there are drops of silence, but then you just come right back in, as if you're yeah. still talking and never left. So if that happens, I apologize to you. <laughs> I apologize to the listeners. Oh uh, yeah, I'm about it. You know, yeah, it's it, it might be on my end. Uh, I know that the last uh, well earlier when you know it just got, kind of completely cut out. That was my internet just stopped working. It just for random, you know, randomly just was like, nope, we're done. Uh, so, you know, hopefully that, that doesn't happen again. Uh, so, right. <laughs> but yeah, I can't control it. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, I mean, you know, like I'm, I'm excited for some games. I'm excited for, uh, what's been happening, um, uh, with wow classic. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to get back into burning crusade classic. Uh, I started a character. I didn't really. Get a chance to level them up very high. Oh yeah. Uh, so have you been investing more into WoW Classic than like the current WoW, or? Uh, you know what? Uh, I was so I I, I kind of go back and forth because for a long time I was playing WoW Classic and you know more than I was retail game, and then Shadowlands came out, and I was really into Shadowlands for a while uh, until it started to feel. Kind of grindy and and, and uh, repetitive again. Sure. Yeah. And, and you know, and I, I ended up with just real life uh, responsibilities that had to take precedence. And then 
you know, and then, you know, uh, with Burning Crusade Classic, I'm like, you know, I really want to get back to it. And then I know that when the next patch for Shadowlands drops, I'm going to want to go and do that too. So it's, it's mostly, it's a matter of like, can I spare the time? Um, but I, you know, I got really into playing Valheim when that came out and I, I, I still like, and I, I get weirdly obsessed with that game while I'm playing it because I'm, I'm sitting there basically almost with the, the, the mentality of like a game uh, tester where I'm like, I want to see how freaking bizarre I can get with some of these buildings that I'm making. Like, yeah, like I'm going to go find a weird little like rock in the middle of the ocean and see if I could build an entire base off of it just by extending things. <laughs> so like weird stuff like that. I'm like, I'm going to build something at the top of this gigantic monolith rock here or I'm going to build a whole base that's just at the very top of the trees. Like, just weird stuff like that. I get really excited about trying to do. Um, but then, you know, like, we're waiting we're waiting for new content in that game. And then um, there's also another game coming out uh, pretty soon that I'm excited about called New World. And uh, it, it's, it's by uh, Amazon uh, Amazon's uh, game studio. And... Um, you know, so far it looks like a lot of fun. It looks like a weird kind of cross between, you know, a bunch of other games that I enjoy. Um, I'm not entirely sold on some aspects of it yet, but a lot of it sounds like a lot of it looks really cool when you go and you, you know, watch trailers and you watch, you know, gameplay video of people playing it. And, um, so I'm, I'm excited for that. I, I, I think that there's a lot of really cool things happening right now in the gaming world. And, uh, there's going to be a lot of cool things that will continue to happen. I think we just need to, you know, uh, give developers plenty of time to actually make things the right way. Um, I think that development companies need to invest more in their development teams. Uh, and if that means expanding them so that, you know, team members don't feel like they're having to do the job of, you know, four or five people, I think that's where you need to be. Um, right, right. And I think that's that's uh, there's that crunch problem right now going on in, in the gaming industry where you know developers end up burning themselves out because oh yeah absolutely you know they keep they keep laying people off or firing people or getting rid of entire departments and then they basically expect other departments to pick up the slack yeah no that's not good <laughs> and then you end up with people that are in that in that development uh, you know they're in that development team that end up getting burned out because they're doing the work of three or four people and it's like you know. If you need to make cuts, make cuts. But if when you start making cuts that make it harder for people to do their job, uh, because that job, it, what that means is that the job that you cut was important and that it was vital, and you shouldn't have cut it. Yeah, it's like you know there are certain places where yeah you probably can trim some fat here and there, where it's like we you know do we really we you know say we employ like a thousand uh, game masters or something. And you know, most of them end up spending their day just kind of sitting around on social media because they're not needed. Well, a that's a good that's a sign that your your development team is making a game that has few few bugs. But it also means that that's where you can you can trim some some fat. But not on your development teams when your development teams feel already pretty uh, pretty strained. Right. So. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not somebody at an upper level in a gaming company making these decisions. So there's probably plenty of things that you know I'm missing or that I'm not privy to that might change my mind, right? But 
at the same time, I, I know plenty of people in the gaming industry that have really had to suffer because people at upper levels of you know some of these gaming companies make decisions that directly affect their lives in a very negative way. And they just keep doing it. And like the people who end up suffering are the ones that are trying to make these games the best they can, while the people at the top kind of just sit there and they they you know they rake in all the credit for having the most profitable year ever or whatever. And uh, you know, meanwhile, their developers are stressed the hell out. Uh, you know, or they're sleeping in their cars, or you know, like any number of other things that are going wrong. And it's like that shouldn't be happening in you know an environment where you're supposed to be fostering creativity and 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 uh, an environment where people can can create things stress free. Like it's just not a good way. It's just not a good business model. And I don't know what it's going to take uh, for you know the people at the top that are making these decisions to see that, but the sooner right. they do, the better, you know, like, I don't know if it's that something needs to fail catastrophically for them to get the point or if there needs to be like a worker strike. I, uh, I will say that I think the game developer game developers need to, to have a union. They don't currently have a union and they need to have a union because they're, they are getting exploited left and right and nobody's stopping it and nobody's stepping in. And it's like at, at a certain point, it's like this, you, they should be unionizing. And I know that there's a lot of them that are trying, uh, but it's, it's, a it's a really kind of, kind of complex process. Right. Uh, but I mean, I, you know, I've, I've got so many friends in that industry that I, I'm, I'm like really hoping that they're able to kind of pull it off because I want to see them less stressed. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, so two things. One, well, no, could you, because all, all the talking about what crunch that makes me think about like the somewhat failure that uh, Cyberpunk 2077 had when it launched. Because I mean, it was notorious. We know that the CD uh, Projekt Red was crunching their uh, developers super hardcore, and like I don't even know if that's back up on the PlayStation Store. Yeah, and it's almost been a year since the game came out. We're getting close. Yeah, and I, I mean, no. yeah, I, and I, you know, I think part of the problem though too is with the culture of consumers. You know, us as gamers, we we've come to the point where we demand that games be released quickly and that they be perfect. And it's like that's not always possible. Like quality yeah, takes time. You rarely get both. Right. It's like you, well, it's almost impossible to get both because if, if something is done quickly, uh, it's not going to be perfect. And if something is perfect, it's not going to be done quickly. Like it takes time to do things the right way. And I think that, yeah, you know, the gaming industry has backed itself into a corner, I think, to a degree where uh, they've, they've kind of set the standard for people where they they should be expecting you know constant releases to be going out the door, but they don't give the developers the time to to polish them and make them what they should be. And I think I think every major gaming company has seen that happen and had to suffer with it uh, over the past few years, you know, with one release or another. And what's unfair is that the developers take the flack for that. They're the ones getting the flack for it. Oh, why isn't this better? Like, why does this suck? It's like, it's not because the developers suck. It's because the developers were 
pushed into a corner where they had to make sacrifices of things. They had to sacrifice, you know, the quality that they were probably aiming for because of time and money. And that decision was not made by a developer. That was a, that was, that was a decision made by somebody at the corporate office who doesn't understand the gaming, the, the process of creating a video game. They don't really care about video games. They don't care about the culture. They don't care about, they, they just want, you know, that nice big fat bottom line. And that's all it is. Those people should not be making decisions for, for the industry in general. They should not be like the people at no. the corporate office, people at corporate offices should not be making calls that directly affect development. Period. I don't. There's no argument that anybody can make that's going to convince me other, uh, otherwise. Right. Like, I you know like sure I know you have to be able to spend responsibly. I know that to like you can't just be spending money left and right. Right. But I think that the corporate office shouldn't be there to tell the developers what they what they can or can't be doing with the game that they're making uh, based on you know budget. I think that that's something that's like the people who are laying the groundwork for the game very early on, kind of trying to like figure out what the game is going to be, how you know far ranging it's going to be. That's where that decision gets made is how can we make the best game possible within the budget that we have and then you basically don't you don't run into a problem of having to cut things because you didn't try to you know expand it to something that you you knew you weren't going to have a budget for in the first place you just make smart decisions early you know from the very get-go and that's how it should be is that you should be making smarter decisions from the from the outset of the game so you don't ever run into a position where you have to cut out something that is kind of vital to what you know what making that game what it should be instead you develop from a standpoint of knowing what your budget is knowing what kind of resources you're going to have and then making a game that fits that where you can actually give the game the attention that it deserves in the places that it, it needs it uh and not be stressed that you're you're going over budget um i'm not entirely sure what the fix for that is because i think that 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 kind of decision making happens at at multiple levels and i think everybody has to kind of be on the same page for it to really work out but uh i one thing is for sure is that it shouldn't be on the developers it shouldn't be on the people that are you know really put it you know pouring their their blood sweat and tears into a game to make it the best they can and then you know are, are constantly getting word from you know on high hey you know, we have to cut this entire thing that we've been working weeks on because it's just going to cost too much to make it work. It's like, well, then who decided to have us try to do this in the first place? Like, now that we've told fans that this is going to be a thing and they're they're going to be expecting it, now it's going to come back on the developers when it's not done. It's right. like either the people at the corporate office have to be more transparent about the fact that they're making decisions like that and that like they need to be the ones taking the blame you know when when something like that happens so that the fans aren't like poking at the developers basically you know the developers need to be like willing to say hey this is what we were working on this is what we wanted to have released this was a decision that came down we didn't have any any way of of challenging it just so you know so like if you're mad about this you need to voice that opinion you know to the corporate office you need to you know make yourself 
your 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 voice heard as to you know why you're upset. Yeah, because I think part of the problem is that the, the developers are just kind of expected to take the flack, like they're expected to be the ones that are going to take the brunt of the criticism. And so, like you, you have people at the, the corporate level making these decisions where they know full well that it's going to be very, very hard on the development team because they've already put in so much time and they've already put so much passion into it. And it's, it's like, you know, the the, the fans are waiting for something, and then now suddenly, because of kind of a corporate bean counter, they can't have it. And it's like, nope. You know what? Whoever made that call needs to be the one out front saying, "I made this call. Here's why." Now you don't get to have this, and here's why. And I think it. I think that if, if corporate offices needed actually had to do that, and then actually have had to fall, deal with the fallout themselves, then maybe they would be a little bit more cautious when they had to make those decisions. You know, they maybe yeah. they'd be a little bit more hesitant to be like, "Yeah, we're just going to cut this for money," you know, because we don't want to spend this much money on this game. Right. It's like you know, good, well, good. Good games cost money. Good games require investment. And if you do it right, uh, you know, you're going to hook people and you're going to build brand loyalty, which is going to make you more money brand than whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's going to make you more money than what you might have saved making this one little decision that ends up being incredibly unpopular. Yeah. And I, I don't know what it's it's because when you know as soon as the gaming industry started chasing short-term profits uh, above you know long-term brand loyalty and, and and satisfaction is when we really started down this road and started having this problem. And I don't I, I really don't know how that gets fixed, but it's something that needs to get fixed. Yeah. And then the other thing that I was just curious about and. Um you know, we, we covered a wide variety of topics, so this might be yeah. the possible one thing to end on. I was just curious because, so you got you got retail current WoW and you got WoW Classic. Mm -hmm. Um, did Blizzard have an intended like roadmap or like end game for WoW Classic, or is this just going to be weird? Because my brain's thinking, is WoW Classic going to be keep going on? So that the fact that <laughs> is what so like. Is WoW Where does it end? For right? that, because WoW retail, are we basically going to see WoW Classic Shadowland at some point in like sixty years? Uh, you know, here's the thing. I don't. Think, <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. And I'll tell you why. Um, I think that there is a tremendous amount of uh, nostalgia associated with the first three expansions of World of Warcraft. Oh yeah, so, wow. I love Wrath. And it was it was only after Wrath that the game really started to decline in terms of of the amount of players that were actively engaged. Um, and while you know, so while some people may really really have uh, nostalgia and good memories uh, for things like you know things that happened in Cataclysm or things that happened in this of Pandaria, I think that it it's those first three expansions. I, I don't think they're going to go any further than than Wrath. I would be very very surprised yeah. if they because that's where. Part of me thinking that too. Yeah, 
Because pretty much beyond that is there like the game never got back to the same level of player base as it had during those first three. Mm. So like through Cataclysm, through Mists of Pandaria, through because I mean personally, I would love to see a, a, a WoW Legion classic. I think that would be great, but I don't think that's ever gonna happen. Because Legion to me was probably the best put together expansion. It's not the one that I have the most nostalgia for, but it was the best kind of objectively put together expansion that they've they've released. Sure. In terms of the amount of content, the quality of the content, the design, the music, everything was great. I don't think they're ever gonna go back there though. So I I don't know how sustainable the whole, you know, kind of classic uh, era is going to be. I, I guess we'll get a, a picture of it as Burning Crusade Classic continues just to see like how well do the original classic servers hold up once, you know, Burning Crusade is around. Like, are there still gonna be enough people on, you know, normal vanilla classic servers to kind of keep it running? Right. Or is it gonna be something where people are just gonna kind of get bored with it and they don't wanna do it anymore? You know, you, you just have to like, I don't know if that's gonna, cause like the, the whole thing is like how, you know, realistically, if everybody's doing Burning Crusade Classic, but you don't want to, you want to stay in, in vanilla and you want to keep raiding and get the best gear and you want to create other tunes and everything. Like, are you going to have enough people to do 40 man raids with that are going to be, you know, on your server or that you're going to be able to play with? I think, I suspect that there might be a few guilds that'll do that, that'll continue it going. But I, I really feel like there's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to just keep going with the classic. But at a certain point, yeah, that ends. Like, where where does it end? Where do you draw the line? Because like no. nobody wants nobody. I'm sorry, but nobody wants Warlords of Drain or Classic. <laughs> no, nope, not not a. No one wanted Warlords of Drain or period. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't want that originally. So yeah, like, yeah. Why would anyone want a classic version of that? Like, I think that expansion had a lot of potential. I, I really there are certain things about it I really enjoy, but. It was a misfire, and I think most people that worked on it would even tell you that. That there were things that it was kind of it's perfect perfect example of what happens when you try to rush something. Um, I mean, I think the best thing that came out of Warlords of Draenor was was Legion, because if if Warlords of Draenor hadn't been done in the way it was, the way it was handled, I don't think that there would have been enough time to implement all of the really great systems that we ended up getting in Legion. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that's, that, and that, that's a perfect way to explain it, you know, to people is that the same team that created Warlords of Draenor also created Legion. So it's not that, it's not that like you had people that didn't know what they were doing or that they you know, weren't as good. You had the same people. It's just that they had more time. They had more time to refine. They had more time to really pour themselves into it. So yeah, I, as far as classic goes, I don't know. We'll have to see. I really, I think it's going to end at Wrath. I think that's when they'll stop. Uh, I, I don't know yeah. a ton of people that are nostalgic about Cataclysm. I don't know a ton of people who are nostalgic about Mists of Pandaria. I, I don't know. They might do a thing where that I could, I could see them doing a thing where they, after Wrath, they just, do a thing where you can set your own classic era, you know, up to oh, like, okay. huh. like 
where it's like not all the server where there's like specific servers then that are like well this server is going to be a misapendaria server or this server is going to be a uh, you know for weird people who are into you know warlords of draenor or you know whatever like <laughs> like they, they might do something where you they might make it so that they're instead of trying to do a release of every individual expansion they might just be like hey there are going to be servers classic servers for all of the expansions you just have to go and pick which one you want to level in right sure. uh but the problem with that though is then you you risk thinning your your player base out too much because it's already right. it's already thinning the things out because like retail wow has taken a hit from classic because people actually have preferred playing classic to the retail version of the game recently it's it's been kind of a huge success um but at what point does that stop like what at what point do like right right just get tired of things and like what what you know, at what point does it start to kill your ability to, to continue the story? If everybody's going back to a prior version of the game instead of playing the retail version, what incentive is there for you to continue creating more content, new content? Right. So I think that's something that, that Blizzard's going to have to grapple with. It's something they're going to have to wrestle with, and I'm sure they already are. But, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to yeah. see. I, I just got I'm, I got half curious and looked them both up, but it seems like there's a two-year gap between the releases. So, Wild yeah. Punk was in 2019, and Burning Crusade just came out. Yep. So, well, and you also have to account for the with that release schedule. Then we might hear something in 2023. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I I, I think that Blizzard right now is kind of going through. A bit of a a period where it's it's trying to find itself um, as a company because it was kind of at its peak. It was kind of at its height, uh, maybe around 2015, 2016, where they just had so much really great stuff coming out. Legion was was you know released and. Uh, you know, BlizzCon was just huge, and Overwatch, Overwatch was announced, and you had, you know, uh, huge StarCraft tournaments, and Heroes of the Storm was doing well, and Hearthstone was doing all kinds of fun stuff, and, you know, Diablo 3, uh, you had the Rise of the Necromancer thing happen, and so they were, they just had so much going on, and they, they had so much to be excited about. Uh, but basically, in the years since, it, it has kind of just tapered away. Uh, as as the money has been drying up and you know and getting tighter, it's been t it's taking more more time for them to be able to release new content. Uh, the content that they release is not necessarily what everybody's wanting to see, um, and you know I think they're they've they've lost a lot of talent. Um, you know they've gained some, but you know Blizzard used to be that company that could retain talent like nobody else because it was just a great company to work at everybody who worked there loved working there it was just a great environment oh they yeah well. there were perks like out the wazoo and but the problem is that you've seen all of these other studios pop up recently after huge kind of public uh parting of ways have happened with you know mike morheim and you had chris metzen leave and you had 
there's other like major players in that company that have left over the past few years that didn't even make it into the public eye because they're people who are kind of behind the scenes uh, behind the scenes anyway. But like you know, uh, major artists that were responsible for some really big things happening in game have gone. They've gone to other studios, and so you know you start you start to have to wonder like at what point, you know, are they in a like a rebuilding phase where they're they're not in a phase where they're really in a position to start putting out an, a, a ton of new content because they are trying to find kind of new footing. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, there's just so many shifts that are happening. Like I said, you know, I have, a, I have a contract with them till the end of the year and I haven't gotten a single assignment. And when I, when I try to reach out to my, you know, my point person to be like, Hey, what's up? When, you know, are you guys going to need me for something? Uh, he doesn't even know. Like that, that's how like, Oh boy, that's how up in the air things are. Where like the guy that I, you know, I'm supposed to, you know, for my contract, basically can't tell me when the next thing they'll, you know, they'll have for me because he doesn't know. Because you know, he might not even have a lot to do. So it's like I, you know, I think I think they're right now they're in a they're in a, a, a tough spot. I think there's there's um. You know, there's a lot of pressure on Bobby Kotick, this, the the uh, CEO of Activision. Uh, you know, he he cut his salary, he had his his salary cut in half, but now, you know, the board of investors over at Activision doesn't. They don't think that that that's enough. Like they they're still angry. Oh, I read that something about like they yeah. don't think he makes too much money. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, oh to be honest, to be honest, they're right. He does for what he does at that company. He, he does <laughs> exactly. Except, except for cut, you know, cut funding to projects that people care about, and make terrible decisions about, you know, what. Oh my God! Where, where these franchises should go? Yeah, like what does he do? And you know, especially when there are people who you know at both Activision and you know at uh, at Blizzard that do so much more. Uh, you know, for for that that company, um, yeah, it's like why why are we paying this guy this much? It's I think that's a valid question for them to be asking. To be honest, that's the investors be asking. It's like why does he make this much money? You cut salary and half, and you're still thinking makes too much. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, I mean, God, Jesus Christ! But I mean, think about that. It it like how much it's money? Wild. How much do they pay him? Like, think of how much money he would have had. To, like he he was making. He was I. I can't remember the exact number, but it was some insane amount, and and most of it was in like stock options and stuff like oh, that. So oh, like, like that's why like cutting his salary wasn't even that big of a deal because like most of his pay isn't in his salary. I think that's why the the investors were actually pissed is because like they felt like nothing like this wasn't this didn't even do anything because it was only for like a one calendar year and like it didn't even take it it doesn't even take uh, take effect. Other than like 2022 or something like I don't know what it was, but it, it the article lays it out well why they're they're upset and I I'm I get it especially when you're laying off you know 800 employees at a time because you say you can't afford it and these are people that are actually performing like a functional role at this company you know in development and and you, you know you lay off 800 employees you don't you you cut the uh, the heroes of the storm competitive league without letting anybody know that that was going to happen. 
which I, I guess there's actually like a possibility that they could be facing some sort of like legal ramifications because there were there were people that that had invested millions in you know professional here's the storm teams for their their tournaments you know uh and there there were whole people that had, there, there were like whole like miniature industries that had popped up around streaming that you know and and supporting it and and hosting events and like it just trickles all the way down the ecosystem so that when they just decide to, decided to like up and just get rid of the Heroes League uh, without telling anybody, you had a lot of people who were left out in the cold and a lot of people who had invested yeah, a lot yeah. of money and a lot of time uh, that were just left holding the bag and that did not go over well. So much so that I think, I don't know if it was Japan or if it was uh, North Korea maybe that that they, they actually had a bill that would penalize any company that does something like that, like where they're, they are liable uh, for the damages in the event that something like that happens. And they literally call it the Heroes of the Storm bill. Hmm. I was like, Whoa, like that's not the kind of legacy you want to have is a bill named after a game you made because it screwed people over. Like, <laughs> That is not exactly the kind of legacy well, you want to leave. So I got curious and looked it up. So it says, mm -hmm. a recent investor filing revealed that Kaudic has extended his employment agreement to March 31st, 2023, but right. with a pay cut. He was earning $1.75 million a year. Right. Now he's getting 875000 Okay. Also That's agreed to... Really cut. Okay. He also agreed to reduce his targeted annual bonus by half. Which is a potential reduction of 1.75 million for each of the 2021 and 22 fiscal years. However, uh -huh. under the new agreement, he can still earn an annual bonus of up to 200% of his base salary, assuming he meets certain targets. That's a potential 1.75 million on top of 875,000 a year. Well, fuck that guy. <laughs> Well, and then then you go into the stock options too that the guy has. Oh my god! And it's, and it's like, yeah, it gets it gets insane. <laughs> and and you know, like, here's the thing: if the rest of the company is doing well, and like, you know, the employees are happy and and things are running smoothly, hey, you deserve the bonus. Keep it, you know. But when you're you're posting uh, record profits and then you're laying off 800 people the next day or the same day, I think it was, uh, and just kind of just kicking them out and you're closing whole offices, you're closing whole, uh, whole teams down because you're saying you can't afford it. Then you know what? You don't deserve the bonuses. You shouldn't warrant a bonus. Yeah. You're, you're doing something wrong. If, if the state of, you know, something that you are overseeing is ending in people being laid off and having to, to curtail, you know, your, your development teams, you're doing something wrong. I'm sorry. And you don't deserve the bonus. You don't deserve the money because you, you know, you didn't earn it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just kind of where I am with it. It's like, you know, I think that people at the corporate level need to be feeling the pain uh, of their decisions more so than the people at the development level. Who are just trying to to make the best product that they can, and they're passionate and they work hard. I think the people you know at the corporate level they should be they should be feeling the consequences of those decisions that they have to make. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially if they're they're making them simply so that their profit margins are larger. You know, it's it's one thing where it's like we have to cut you know this many people or or the whole company's in jeopardy. It's like I get that. Okay. Although that kind of is signifying there was a massive failure elsewhere, but at the same time, it's like okay, I, I kind of get it. But no, when you're when you <laughs> when you're in a position where you are cutting, uh, you know, massive numbers of people because you want there to be more profit, uh, and those people actually were important because they were doing something that was necessary, and then now you're you're trying to force other people to pick up the slack. That's, you know, what are you doing? That's, that's, that's not how businesses function. And there's a reason now that Blizzard suddenly has a problem with retention, with talent retention. It, there's a reason that they're hemorrhaging talented people to other studios like Riot or, you know, like a lot of these startups like Bond. In just the past few, few years, you've seen Chris Metzen with War Chief Gaming, which is a tabletop uh, gaming company. You have uh, Moonshot Games or Dreamhaven, uh, which is Mike Morheim's company. You've got Second, uh, is it Second Dinner, which is uh, uh, Ben Brode, who you know was responsible uh, for a lot of Hearthstone success. You have oh, yeah. Bonfire, who is I think Bonfire is Rob Pardo, who was uh, once you know a big big name at Blizzard. And yeah, so there's these these competitive companies. Are, prop, are, are popping up in Southern California all over the place. And it, it, they are made of former Blizzard employees who got fed up with th you know, things being the way they were with Activision and are like, you know what? No, we're going to continue making games that we love. And, we're, and, and if, we, if we can't do that the way we want to do it uh, with, with Blizzard because Activision is getting too involved, then we're going to go make our own company and that's what we're going to do. And I think it's a great thing that that's what they're doing. I think that Blizzard needs wow. to start taking Blizzard needs to start taking that that competition very seriously. Uh, sure, it's easy to brush off right now because there haven't been any major releases yet. But you know, with that kind of talent pool, you can be you can you know you can absolutely bet that there's going to be some really heavy hitting, amazing games coming out of some of those studios that are really going to give. Blizzard games are run for their money. And uh, if they don't adapt, if they don't get to a point where they, they reemphasize the importance of their development teams uh, and they really start you know, getting back to trying to re retain their talent, they're going to be in, in deep shit. So, I mean, we'll see. I really hope that they get through this period uh, in a way that, you know, they can continue to make great games. But, uh, you know, if their current... Uh, leadership is in place for very much longer. I don't know how 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 likely that's going to be, at least not anytime soon. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, <laughs> that's my end rant. <laughs> end rant. Hit the end rant button. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Get get their shit together. That's like all encompassing statement that can be applied to many facets of life that we've talked about today. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, it's half hour to midnight on my side. Gotcha. Thank God I have a short shift tomorrow. <laughs> oh, Sorry to, to, to be yeah long-winded. No, you know what? Yeah, it, it's fine. I hope I – did you have fun? Oh, always. 
Always have fun. That's the most important thing that I look out for whenever I do these episodes. So as long as you had fun, as long as you just were okay with the stuff we talked about, then that is a <laughs> my book. Yeah, I hope I hope I didn't get too political, but it's hard to it's hard to avoid the topic, honestly, nowadays. Note yourself. Whenever I have you on, expect political. At least a little bit. At, at least, least a little bit. We it, try to keep it on track. Right. Sort of. You gotta, you gotta make an allowance for it at least though. <laughs> yeah. 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 But uh yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this super long episode. Always good to <laughs> record new stuff because I know it's been difficult for me with the pandemic because you know, I mostly bank on, you know, talking about conventions with cosplayers or trying this new thing where, you know, I'm just catching up with cosplayers or, or people like yourself. So I know that next week I will be doing an episode with Interventus, who nice. I had on the show previously. And this was back when she was still, I guess, involved in the cosplay community. She's kind of not anymore. Because she's got her own awesome body painting stuff going on. So we'll get to talk with her to see how that's been blowing up for her. And I'm really excited about that. But in any case, um, Zach, if people want to go find your stuff, where do they go? Uh, well, the, I mean, <laughs> uh, the best place to find me nowadays is honestly on Twitter. It's just at Zach Fisher, just my name. Uh, and uh, you can find me on, on, on Instagram as well. Um, I think it's all linked to my Twitter. I think I've got everything. But you can also look up my work on ArtStation. Uh, it's just Zach Fisher on ArtStation as well. So, Yep. And you can find me on Blue Lightning Cock on Twitter, Instagram, somewhat Facebook. I don't know why I made a Facebook page. I don't know why. <laughs> no one uses it. I don't even use it anymore, even though I just started. But uh, I've been streaming right. a lot lately. Uh, right now I've been going through the Mass Effect Legendary Collection. Uh, I've been blasting through it to the point where I think I'm going to be finishing Mass Effect 3 tomorrow. Uh, and then I'm going to be debating on whether or not do I start a brand new trilogy run through and this time be a dick instead of being a goody goody two shoes. <laughs> Apparently, all the fun stuff comes when you be a dick. Apparently, isn't, that, I'm isn't that the way of things? I, I, the way I, of the I, world. <laughs> Maybe I'll bang somebody else this time. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm yeah. not going to comment on that. Yeah, you don't have to. I've accepted <laughs> this is who I am. Oh, well. I'm a good person. <laughs> anyway, that's the show. Hope you guys had fun, and I will see you all next time.